0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, our treasure of a good and bestower of life. Come and dwell us and cleanse every stain and save our souls. A good one. down. We've now come to talk twenty-eight about a year and a half or more ago, I'm not sure, I did, um, with God's help, talk one and talk two. Talk one was to do with near-death experiences and those that came back as well. And then talk two was to do specifically with orthodox teachings about death. But, of course, because the time ran out then, I didn't have time to do much more. And today I decided to continue on with those talks, and we come to a very, very important topic, and the topic is what happens to the soul after it's passed away. Now, a lot of you that were present at the service, which is the Great Panahiro, the Great Memorial Prayers for the Dead, it's a larger service than the small one, we heard in there things like grant rest to the souls with thy saints, forgive them all their sins. And the question one has to ask then is that if we are asking for them to be forgiven their sins, in other words, if they've died with sins, where do they go? And I think a lot of us, it never dawned on us What actually, when we are doing these prayers, what are we asking for? Where are the souls? Are they saved or they're not saved? And if they're saved, then why would we be asking for God to forgive their sins? As we know from the Bible, in Hades, in hell, there is no repentance. Once the soul leaves this earth, it cannot repent. It can't do good works. It can't do anything. So, if a soul has passed on to the next life with sins, we have to then examine where is that soul? What happens? Is it in hell? Is it suffering? Did it go to heaven? Is it in another place like the Roman Catholics say, like purgatory, where they say that the souls go and they burn, and then through that burning and suffering, then suddenly they're released. But let's start from the beginning. I think we need to look at what happens before the soul departs. And this is a very, very important part as well. I've photocopied from my book, the priest's book, a couple of prayers. And I'm going to read these prayers because the prayer speaks for itself. The prayer is said by the priest when someone is about to die. In other words, when a person's dying. When someone is dying, it's good to call immediately the priest. Those who are not familiar with the church, don't know priests, etc., they wouldn't know where to begin. So I had a case lately where I had some person that I know whose mother was passing away and... um, he knew nothing. He didn't know what you do, what do you do if the person, what's the church, how does the church help? So I had to I, I couldn't go cause, but I told him that he has to call the priest, get prayers read for her. It got to the stage where his mum couldn't eat or, or hardly drink. So I said to him, "Well, when you do give a little bit of water, give a holy water." I sent some oil, holy oil, um, unction oil that we did here last Lent. It was you know, cotton wool wrapped up in four. I said, put the unction oil on her as often as you can. And he said to me, and this person's not very religious, doesn't know much. He said to me, when I would give her the holy water or the oil, I noticed that she did calm down. So he did call the priest to come, and the priest came in and read some prayers. He, um, I don't know if, he, if uh, perhaps he, she confessed, I didn't get that detail, but she communed. But she didn't pass away straight away, it took another month or so, but she finally did and he said the last thing that he did just before she passed away was he gave her holy water and he crossed her with the holy oil. What are the prayers that the priest reads? Now, unfortunately, I don't know in the Greek church, because I've never seen it in the book. Maybe it's there. I know that the Russians have it and I think the Serbians have it. It's called The Prayer Said by the Priest at the Departure of the Soul. I would think that the the Greek book has it, but I didn't have a copy to check. So the priest comes and he reads this prayer where he says, Let us pray to the Lord, Lord, have mercy. O Master, Lord, Almighty, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who wills that all men should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, who desires not the death of a sinner, but that he should turn from his way and live, we entreat you and implore you, absolve the soul of your servant, then he crosses the person there, the name of the person, from all bonds and free it from every curse, pardon his or her transgressions committed from youth, both knowingly and unknowingly, in deed or word, that which he or she has freely confessed or concealed, either through forgetfulness or through shame. For you alone can loose that which is bound and guide the compunction. You are the hope of the despairing, mighty to remit the sins of every man who puts his trust in you. Yea, O Lord, who loves mankind, command that he or she be released from the bonds of the flesh and sins, because the soul, as we know, is tied to the body. At death, that bond, that tie between the body and the soul, is broken. So he's, the priest is saying, release that soul from the body, and forgive the the person their sins. Receive in peace the soul of this your servant, name, and grant it rest in the eternal mansions with your saints. By the grace of your only begotten Son, our Lord, and God, and Saviour Jesus Christ, with whom you are blessed, together with your most holy, good, and life, and spirit, now and ever, unto and the ages of ages. Amen. So we see such a powerful and such a loving prayer that it even says forgive those sins that may have been concealed, etc. We will come to it later on exactly how much those sins are forgiven and whether they're, what happens if they're really serious sins, etc. But... That's the prayer. Now, I once went, as I said to you in another talk, I went once to the hospital, Someone, someone's mother was dying and they asked me to go and read the prayers. I read the prayers, I read the whole, actually there's a whole service. It's got a canon before departure with nine odes and then these prayers. And uh, she was very sick, but she lived. She lived another 10 years, I think. So it doesn't mean that or because you're telling the priest to come, it looked like she was really bad, but she lived. Now, there's superstitions that some people have. They say, oh, if you call the priest, it means you're going to die and all this, this nonsense. So because of that, a lot of people die with no help because they don't want to call the priest because they think that that's bad luck. There's another prayer, which is for a soul which is finding Difficulty in removing itself from the body. Sometimes people kind of are dying, but there's something obstructing them. My mother would often say um, stories that, you know, people in the village, maybe people who were considered as bad or that sometimes their souls wouldn't come out and they would go through a lot of anguish and fear and terror. Then when the priest would come and read them, a lot of times they would just depart. And so let's read a little bit there, and I'll go on to that. It doesn't mean that everyone who's struggling at death means that it's for bad reasons, but let's just see. Let us pray to the Lord of mercy. O Lord our God, who in your ineffable wisdom created man, forming him out of the dust of the ground and adorning him with comeliness and nobility as an honourable and heavenly acquisition to the exaltation and magnificence of your glory and kingdom, so that you might lead him to that which is according to the image and likeness. Inasmuch as he or she has sinned, against the command of your statutes, your commandments, inasmuch as this person has, has failed to keep your commandments, having accepted the image, but not having preserved it, out of your love for mankind, that evil not be eternal, you have commanded remission of these that by your divine will as God of the fathers, the indestructible bond should be cast away and dissolved. That bond that I said between the soul and the body. And that this body be dissolved from that which it was fashioned and allow this body to decompose when it's buried. And that the soul should be translated thence where it will remain until the general resurrection when all the souls will return to their bodies. Therefore, we pray to you, the immortal Father, without beginning and your only begotten Son and your most Holy Spirit, that you will resolve the name of the person, from the body to a state of repose and that out of your goodness that which is known or not known be struck away. Like all whatever sin is tied to this soul, get rid of it, like wipe it off. So too we entreat forgiveness out of your ineffable boundaries if he or she is under a priestly anathema. So what's a priestly anathema? I don't know exactly what a priestly anathema is, but it seems like a priest, if someone is doing something against the church's practice and is remaining unrepentant, that the priest may, from his heart, pronounce some type of punishment on that person, which is like a anathema means that the person is cut off from the church, cut off from God. This is a, like a punishment because the person remained unrepentant. So I think that's what it means by a priestly anathema. It says never anger a priest because if the priest, even mistakenly, and it could even be wrong that he does it, but if the priest from the soul lets out a type of och, uh, oh, as we say, like oh, this person um, and gives us some bad words, even from within, those words can stick, as can parents, when they can curse their children and evil eyes, etc., which we're going to do another time, which Elder was in his book, Volume One, there's a whole section about the evil eye and curses, etc, because there's curse of parents or two, which I think it mentions. Ah, oh, it does, has embittered his or her parents, has broken a vow. Has a vow means that they made a promise to God, but then they didn't do it. If you make my child well, I will make a nice icon for the church. Then later on, it says, my child's better. I'm not going to make the icon now or other things like that. Uh, has fallen into demonic dreaming and shameful magic. We all know what that means sorcerers, on account of the malice of evil demons. O Master, Lord God, hear me, a sinner, and your unworthy servant at this hour, and pardon your servant, and the priest blesses the name, and from this intolerable sickness which holds him in bitter helplessness, and grant that he or she rest where all the souls of the righteous are. For you are the repose of our souls and bodies, and unto thee, do send up glory to the Father, and to the Son, to the Holy Spirit, now and ever, at the ages of ages, amen." Look, if you can get a priest to go, you of course you get a priest to go. But many times priests may not be able to go, etc. Or people have telephoned me from some places, which there's no way I can get to that place, and there might not be a priest at that time that come not Uh We have read these prayers uh, even we're not in the presence of the person. The best would be for the priest to go there to put the what we call the epitrahillion or stole, as it's called, on the person, read them. But there's no reason why if that can't be done. Prayers can be, as we read later on, prayers can help. You can help a person in Russia or in Serbia and you're in Australia and you're praying and the person can be helped. There's no distance with God's grace. So they're the prayers that have done. Now, back to the question we remember remembering talk two where I said that uh, a frightful death, a painful death, a horrible death can also make up for sins and that God allows that to happen a lot of times to people so that they can die with uh, less and less and less sins. Just like we said before, a, a death which is a violent death. When someone has been eaten by an animal or someone has frozen to death, or someone has been run over, like something or someone's died in a war, been blown up. These are violent deaths. We also remember that that I read you a number of examples from the fathers where violent deaths can be very beneficial to the soul. And we also read that uh, even when the body's discarded, I used to often think, as I said then, that I I thought, all those soldiers, for example, that die on battlefields and they're just left there, and they rot away. And I said, How horrible, how horrible. And then I read that even that, even that can have that person to get forgiveness of sins. Never, ever, ever question God's ways. That is, to me, the height of pride for someone to say, Oh, God made a mistake. Now, He shouldn't have taken that person at that time that person shouldn't have got run over or that person shouldn't have fell off that cliff or, 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 or. Never question. We in our stupidity, and we're so dumb, so backward in all ways that we can question God's wisdom and God's ways. So those prayers are very important. So if someone's having a horrible difficulty with their death it doesn't mean that they're great great bad sinners we don't know but we know that it does help the soul and there's no reason why later on we ring the priest if the priest can come or ring up a monastery and they pray etc i remember that time when i was reading a a translation of a russian book I, i don't know if it was before the revolution or after maybe after and uh there was a person that just died for example just died, and at the time of its death, this of the person, obviously the demons came in this case because that person didn't really believe much and started to attack the soul, and a nurse came in, not knowing what's going on, didn't see that person, the demons, didn't see the soul, just walked in and saw that the person had reposed, and in those days there was icons um, in the rooms, some places still have them, And she turned around to the Mother of God icon and she did her cross and she said, "Uh, most holy theotokos, help your servant," something like that. And straight away at that moment, the Mother of God came and shooed away those demons. And even though they might sound like, oh, too much far-fetched stories, um, don't find out the hard way. So that's how much prayer can help. So this person who I said before, with his mother, uh, I was the only priest he knew. He didn't really know any priest. He didn't go to church. But because he had done some work for me at the monastery there, some labouring work, some, he, was a te- he was a tradesman, and I got to know him. And then from that, he started to um, talk to me about his mother that was dying, etc., etc. and I gave advice. And he said at the end, he said, "It's fortunate for me, thanks God, that you were around because I would not have known anything." I said to him, "Keep the body overnight," and he goes, "Oh, oh, oh! I don't know. i would never heard of that." He goes, "Oh, my kids might get scared. I go don't worry about the kids. Just, <laughs> just keep the body overnight, and you will never regret it. You'd love the fact that you kept your mother overnight and you stayed close to her and you prayed for her and light candles, etc." And, so. and it turned out he goes, "I can't do that because my my children will get upset." Because even though they were 30 years old, and um, but they watch horror movies, that that's okay. Um, And in America, they celebrate um, Halloween, but that's okay. But let's take away the body anyway. But the funeral director says we can't come, so it turned out that he had to keep her anyway, and he goes, it was the best thing for him. So stay close to the church, stay close to the priests. And without being rude or horrible, I have to say that there are priests and there are priests. There are priests who take their vocation, whatever you call it, what they've been given by God, their priesthood seriously and understand what's all about those things. And there are priests who don't understand much at all. Just like people have said to me... um, uh, someone said to me later, like, Oh, I found out that there's this is fantastic doctor in Adelaide for this particular problem that I've got. Yes, goes oh, I wrote an email and um, and what else? And I if I can I would even go to Adelaide. Now we know that some from Greece go to America, others from Russia go to England. They go all different places to find out the best doctor for this particular problem. But for the priests for spiritual fathers, we seem to be... That seems to be... and the bottom end, we just pick anything that comes off the production line. And that is no good. Because not all priests are going to tell you a lot of things. Remember what I told you when I was a lay person, I went to a priest and I said... Oh, I was a bit upset. I said, my father just passed away... And he said to me, oh, that's, oh, I can, we can um, organise this beautiful tray of coliva like we did there, but a nice one, and it cost $150, and you can do this and that, and it'd be really... Real. That was the first thing that came to his mind is that I can do... We can do this. Nothing about the soul, nothing about for, as a priest for him to say, God rest his soul, which could give so much help to that soul at that moment, which we're going to come to later on when a priest speaks, what happens... So it's up to you. Schools, I've been dealing with some parents, oh, schools, to make sure their children go to the best school, to make sure they get a good HSC mark, the, the last high school certificate. And they go to tutors, and they go here, and they go there, and they, they'll pay and they'll work like dogs, some of them, to work three jobs, two jobs, whatever they can to make their children go to the best schools. Is there anything wrong with that? That's up to you. That's, I'm, that's, that's not the problem. What bothers me is when you do that, but you don't worry about finding priests who are faithful, stay close to monasteries, because as we go on, you will see how important that is. Now, that's the first part. Then the person departs, departs this life. Now we come to the next, which is very important. There's another prayer, which I read just really quickly. After death, let us pray to the Lord of mercy. Remember, O Lord, our God, your servant, our brother or sister, the name, priest blesses, who has reposed in faith and hope of life internal. Very important that. Who has reposed in faith. They've got faith. They're not atheists. They're not unbelievers. They're not people who had no faith at all, even though they might have gone to church but didn't even know who Christ was. And they had faith. And they had hope in, the, in life eternal. They died with the hope that they will go to heaven. But a lot of times people don't have that hope because they don't even know about heaven or hell or don't care or they're too busy. So this prayer really is for someone who has reposed in faith and hope of the eternal life. And as you are good and the lover of mankind, releasing sins and destroying unrighteousness, loose, remit and forgive all his or her transgressions, both voluntary and involuntary, those that the person's done on purpose, those that the person's done because they couldn't help it, deliver him or her from eternal torment and from the fires of hell. And grant to him or her the communion and enjoyment of your eternal good things, prepared for those loving you, prepared for those who love you. Love who? Love money? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be, remember? If your treasure is your beauty, then that will be where your heart, there will be no reward if your treasure is your physical strength, your sporting athlete, your intelligence, your money, power, glory. No, our treasure should be our love for God. For although he or she has sinned, yet he or she has not turned away from you. And without doubt has believed in you, in the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, God glorified in the Trinity. In other words, even though the person has sinned, because a lot of times we sin and then for some reason, either for satanic reasons or for proud reasons or whatever, we say, I can't go next to God anymore because I've sinned. Some silly things like that. Or what's the point in praying anymore? God won't forgive me. Or oh, I can't struggle anymore. I'm going to lead a worldly life now. Yes, Christians sin, but they will not deny God, which is what the devil wants. The devil says, you've sinned now. It's too late. You're finished. You won't be forgiven and reject, reject him, deny him. But it says here that this person, this soul, has without doubt and believed in you, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, God glorify in the Trinity, which we heard also in the prayers in the church today, where the person confesses the Holy Trinity right to the end. How do we confess the Holy Trinity? Read the creed every day, which is what it should be. Every day the creed must be read. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, God the Father, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, God the Holy Spirit. Three, that means If a person reads the creed every day, that. And when a person's dying, read the creed for that person if the person can't speak or can't do it or even if they're unconscious. Read the creed on their behalf. So this person has confessed and has confessed in an orthodox manner unity in trinity and trinity in unity even to his or her final breath. Now, there are trials at the time of death, and one of them is to deny God. That's why we don't wait till our death when, it will, when we're out of it, when we could be on really heavy drugs and we're, and we can't even, we're not even conscious properly or in, like delirious. We prepare for that day from beforehand. When? When do we prepare for it? on Sunday, or like some people do Lent, where all of a sudden we're orthodox and we commune. No, we prepare for our death every day. And how do we prepare every day? Spiritual struggle, like I've said in the other talks, and especially from the depths of our souls to say, Lord, have mercy, meaning I know I deserved to go to hell. I know that I haven't done anything good prop. I know that I'm, I'm off. I'm slothful, I'm not doing the right thing, but Lord have mercy. That's when it comes true, not when people get the prayer rope and they muck around and pretend that they're monastics and other stupidities and they do prayer ropes and they people say, oh, or, I'm doing the Jesus prayer. The Jesus prayer, as for Elder Baisio said, has to come from a person who's struggling and is calling on God's mercy. When a person's in jail and he's going to be executed, like in America, we don't have him here anymore, but it'd be executed like in, say, the governor of the state, like California, I think they've got the death penalty, uh, the governor of the state has the right to forgive that person so that they won't be um, executed. So when the person's in the jail and he's, and he's asking mercy from the governor, he's not playing games, he means it. Because he knows that any time now he's going to go to the uh, to be, I think they use injections over there. The same as us. We know any moment we could die, so therefore we need to be really not in a fantasy, but in reality, asking God's mercy. And if you haven't got to the stage where you can say, "Lord, have mercy," believing that you are deserved of hell, as Saint Silouanos said, the Russian. Saint of Saint of Manathos, who was in St. Ponlimas Monastery, he died around 1930s or 40s. He says, Keep your mind in hell and despair not. Think about hell, know about that we deserve to go there because we're of, of ourselves, but despair not and trust in God's mercy. That's when we say, Lord, have mercy from our hearts. So this person who has died, the priest is saying, has never denied and has counted on God's mercy, even though they have sins even to his final breath. Therefore, be merciful to him or her and looking rather on their faith in you instead of their deeds. Give rest to him or her with your saints as you are bountiful, for there is no man who lives yet does not sin. No one is without sin. For you alone are without sin and your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. For you alone are... Are a God of mercy and compassion and love for mankind, and unto Thee do we send up glory to the Father and to the Son, and the holy Spirit, now and ever, the age of redemption. There's a canon for that as well. So when a person's just departed, there's a canon, and at the end of that canon is this prayer read. And as I said, a priest, a monastery don't have to be right there, but they can read the canon. And they can read the prayer in absence. They don't have to be there. Of course, if you get a priest, we've done these prayers when the person's passed away. But then I say to the person, if you can get a priest, get the priest to do it. Just get the priest to come there. If they can't, well, still, that's still the prayer being read. And that is the prayer after death. Now, are there any questions so far on that. We've gone now to the part before death and after death. Any uh, questions? For an Orthodox Christian, as what happens to the rest, we're not aware. But for Orthodox Christians, yes, there is a battle between the demons and the angels for the soul of the person. And as we know, and it's very simple the demons show the sins of the person. And the angels show the good deeds of the person. Then there's a fight between them, and the angel and the demons say, "But he did this sin." And then the demon says, "Don't try and trick, because they try and trick and make the soul get in despair." Say, "No, but he's confessed that. He's confessed that." Then they might show another sin that he hasn't confessed, and then the angels say, "Yes, but he's done this. He's done that. He gave money to the poor. He did. You know what I mean?" So there's all this uh, battle going on. And those, and a lot of those things are in the books now. I'm using a few books today. They're all at the back. The Soul After Death by Father Seraphim Rose. I just purchased that recently. Just came the other day. That one is a, a detailed book, but it talks a lot about um, those things I talked about in talk one, which is what happens when the soul comes out. What other people believe about mediums and all these things. Um, talks about. Orthodox people, what they've seen, and non Orthodox people, etc. And then we've got this one from Jordanville, Holy Trinity Monastery, Jordanville, Eternal Mysteries Beyond the Grave. I've picked a lot of stuff from here. This is fantastic accounts, readable, wonderful. I remember reading this years ago, but then I lost my copy and I just purchased this recently again. I started reading it again. But you know, even though I forgot a lot of stuff what I read, but there's a lot of things that I did read. 20 years ago, or whatever I read it, and, and I never forgot. It's very important, and that's an excellent book. You had to read, you know, just like you buy your rubbish that you buy sometimes that are not worth anything, like um, magazines and stuff. Well, you know, you need to know about the next life. I mean, if you... Then we've got this one here is a translation, After Death by Archimandrite Vasilius Bacuanius, and that's an excellent book as well, Simple, Very simple. And I've picked a few things from there today. I've also got this one here, which is a small one. Um, The memorial services and their benefit written by a monk from Manathos. And this is short, but explains the importance of praying for the dead, both through Panahidas, which is memorial prayers, and as we say in Greek, and liturgies, etc. This book was very good. And I've also got here, um, this is a bit deeper, Life After Death, only got a few of them. Um, very theological. I suppose there's not many theological people here, unless you presume you are. That if you presume you are, you can buy it. And The Journey Beyond Death, which is, I think, an extract from The Eternal Mysteries Beyond the Grave. This is another jo- Jordanville book, which goes through the toll houses and speaks about what Vladimir was asking there about the fight and all that type of thing, between when people go through the toll houses. So they're the books that I'm, I'm using today. So let's now go to our next section. We have in town, as you know, John Edwards. No, not the presidential candidate that was there last year, but John Edwards John Edward is a medium. He's a medium. He speaks with the dead. And when people ask him, how do you do it? And his answer is, because I can very intelligent answer because I can and in 25 minutes we will be starting his seance in Melbourne at seven o'clock so here we are speaking about these things and at the same time he's down there speaking about there and there's a lot of people that go why do people go why do people go I've watched a few of those things they're on they're on the cable television on the W channel And he's got two shows, one's called Cross Country with John Evans, the other one's called Crossing Over. Crossing Over is what he calls a person that's left this life to go to the next life. Why do people go? And, you know, when I watch it, uh, I really feel pain. What do I feel pain for? I feel pain because, firstly, those people are in pain. They've lost their departed ones and they're hoping to go there that he will choose them with some messages from the people that have died, from their relatives, from their husband, from their son, something like that. And he picks a person from the crowd and he begins to tell them things like that. Now, there are some things on the internet of, of people who speak about John Edward and, and expose him. And they say that there's two ways that he does it. There's what's called cold reading and hot reading. A cold reading is when he looks at the person and he blurts out all these different things, and he watches for the person's reaction, which he does. That that is true. So he might say, "And I see, and I see um, a man," and then he'll watch the person's reaction. The person just blank. Then he'll know he didn't get it right, and then he'll just jump and just keep on going on until he finds the person reacts. That's called cold reading. Uh, just they're very see these people are very sensitive people who can pick things up. Uh, And there's a big interest in these things. That's why they have all these shows, Supernatural and witches shows and all these things, Um, the medium and psychics and all these other things, and criminal psychics and, uh, sorry, people that can crack crimes. There's, There's so many of them on the television. It is full, which means why do they play them for? They don't play things unless they make money out of it. They're playing it because people are interested in... The supernatural. People are interested in what happens after death. People are interested in what happens to their dead people. People are interested in those things. But yet, what's sorrowful is that the Orthodox Church has all those answers, but they don't know because a lot of them, either because they're Protestants and to some extent Catholics too, have lost a lot of the tradition. Well, Protestants don't have tradition. These things we're going to read today have been in the church from the first century. We're going to quote things from that the apostles and and all the Holy Fathers from centuries on have taught these things about the soul and how to help the soul and all these things. In the John Edward thing, these people, these dead people that come to him supposedly, they've come to help. They've come to help, to give answers to their people that are left behind. When we did the prayer in the church today and the prayers that I just read now, before and after death, I don't don't note that the priest read and may this soul help us. I think it's more that the soul needs our help, but not that the soul is gonna help us. But in these uh, psychic things that they do, these medium things that he does, all these seances, it's always that the person's come to console those left behind, to give some nice messages, to give them some advice of what to do with their house, whether to paint it red or whether to paint it blue and things like that, to tell them it's okay, and and even though they had a little fight beforehand, that it's okay that they forgive them, and to tell them the biggest message, because the main message of all those things is one, that the next life is nothing to be scared about, Everything is fantastic. It's so natural, as Mr. Edwards says there. It's natural. It's fantastic. It's not in any way horrifying. While the prayers that I read in the beginning are horrifying to some extent. Some of you were cringing a bit. So why stay orthodox? Go to where it's easy. Over there it's easy. Whether it's the truth or not is another thing. But it is easier. See? See, now here... Those prayers that I read and the prayers that you heard in the church is all about hell and to deliver the person, forgive them their sins and may they not experience hell and help them and help them and help them. While those people never speak about those things, never have any of those supposed souls that have come and speak into him to help the people, none of them have ever said anything about prepare yourself, be careful, be careful. There's a hell, nothing. Everything's beautiful. God is basically never mentioned. If the person's religious, then Mr. Edward is religious as well. But if they're not religious, then he's not religious. Depends on the person and where you can get the most dosh out, out from them. So the people that are coming there are in pain and they really want to communicate with their dead. And who's not in pain when they've lost someone? Christ actually cried when... Uh, He came to the tomb and Lazarus was dead, if you remember. So it is painful. It actually is a very painful experience to lose one of your close ones. So these people are running to hear something, to, to know something, to make them feel better. Especially if they've lost their child or they've lost some... One person that was on there, they lost their son who was a fireman in the 9-11 when the tower crashed. They lost him. They wanted to communicate. And supposedly the son came and was communicating to them. People, the little children that have died, they've come back to communicate. But it's just funny that whenever he says things, he says things in like riddles, like um, I see a letter A. Is there anything with A? Like, can you make, or um, does the number two sound familiar to you? The number two. And then I say, oh, I've got two children, that's it. Now the letter A, I had an apple in the morning, is that it? No, no, no not, not the apple. Um, a, something with A, you know, and they, they make up all these things. Can you imagine going to an orthodox elder that I did uh, with God's help, around 10 talks on Elder Paistros and Elder Forfidius. Can you imagine going to Elder Porfirios and Elder Forfidios says, I see some red flowers. Do you, does that make any sense to you? Or Elder Porfirios to say to the person, does the name start with J, Jonathan, John, um, Joanna, Joe, Joseph, and they might say, oh, Jack, that's the one, even now. So the other thing is why, well, firstly, our elders would never do that. Orthodox elders don't do that. That's demonic. And the other thing is that when the elders speak, they speak with authority, they speak with enlightenment from God's grace. Why do these people use these riddles for? Now, these people that write these cold readings, as I said, that's the one, hot reading is when they get the information beforehand, but they have never been able to prove it. Some even say that they've got microphones around in the chairs or areas so that when bef- he's usually late to come out on stage, so when people are speaking in the audience, they might say, oh, I'm waiting to, to speak to my son, Daniel, or something like that, and then they've got their microphones, but they've never been able to prove that. They can't find the microphones, etc. Some say they're even out in the foyer, So when people are talking and this and that. But there's other reasons for for that. A lot of times they are guessing. They are studying the faces. Some of them could be getting what's called hot readings, which means that they've investigated you beforehand. But some of them are so far-fetched that their details of what they're saying is so precise that one has to say, how do they know that? And that's what amazes people. That they do, they are, they just can't be a guess. Now, these uh, sceptics say, no, they're guessing, they're guessing, they're guessing, they're guessing. Yes, they are guessing. But sometimes what they're saying as well is can't be a guess. Like one example that I saw was some girl that died and then the, and then he said to the father, I see, did you used to have with the girl um, some type of orange, fruity type of drink? And she goes, oh, that was her favourite. But that's a very... Not a, very, um, not a very popular drink and it was something special that they used to do and then he knew that. Either he knew it from beforehand or somehow he was told. And what the Orthodox uh, fathers say is that these people have communication with demons. Demons are in the air, they know what's going on and they uh, inspire these people to say things Now the question remains, if the demons are telling them and the demons do know the truth, why don't they say all the truth? Why do they make so many mistakes? And if you want to know as well, people that have gone there have said, if he's talking to someone and has a session of half an hour on the TV, they'll show around 10 minutes, they cut the other 20 minutes out because most of the stuff he got wrong. But even on TV he gets things wrong too. Why, if the demons are speaking to them, don't they get it right? What's the answer? Does anyone know? Interesting is that whatever the demons do is with God's permission. If they get things wrong, God permits it. If they get things right, God permits it. So what does he permit these things to be correct at times? Because, as the fathers say, when someone goes to the satanic, then he allows them to be tricked because they went there in the first place. But there are souls who are ignorant. There are people who haven't got our teachings of the church to know how bad that is. They don't know. Don't think that God only takes care of the Orthodox. He also looks at every single person. And there are a lot of people that are watching that stuff on television. And a lot of those people watching have no idea of the orthodox teaching of the souls after death and the demons. They have no idea of that stuff. If God allowed the demons to get everything right, then those people would fall straight away and actually go towards it. But God, on purpose, out of his love, allows them to get things wrong, which most of them are wrong, so that those with a good soul, those who have a brain in their head, Those who are looking for the truth, even if they're not orthodox, even if they're not Christian, they will actually say, well, this is crap, basically. This is rubbish because a lot of the stuff he's saying is wrong. If he had this communication and what does he have to use these letters and numbers and symbols and all this type of stuff? And he goes, oh, when he gets things wrong, he goes, oh, I misinterpreted the spirit's message, He says, "I misinterpreted what the Spirit was trying to say." That's out of God's love. So there are people who have no idea of orthodoxy at all of all these teachings that I'm going to read tonight, and they go and they look at that and they go, "This is rubbish." Don't get scandalised with the crap thing. In Australia, to me, I thought crap means rubbish. That's what I thought it meant. You know, I found out because I mentioned that in one of the talks. I think it was talk number three or four that I found out from someone in America that. Uh, over there, it means uh, um, human waste or whatever, animal waste. Whatever, and um, you know the saints did use those words in the services. They say that the saints say, um, or the ones who wrote it, talk about Saint Anthony that he regarded he regarded the, the the things of the world as dung. Dung means the same thing, but you know we can't. But no-one knows what that word is. I'm sure I'm hardly, no, none of you actually know what it means. But it would be, you know, but for people to go and change the services now and say that he, he regarded everything as crap would not sound nice because it's like a slang, or he regarded everything as poop is the same thing. It doesn't sound nice, right? But it's not that the word can't be used because what it is is that. It's rubbish. It's, it's worse than waste. So see how God takes care of everyone. As for Orthodox Christians who should know better, they are punished more and are tricked more. God allows them to fall even worse because they should know better of what is the correct thing. Don't have this despair and go, the dead, the dead, my dead person, someone who goes to church often and confesses and communes and this, and then all of a sudden they lose their faith and they say, I'm going to run to a medium to get communication to see how my husband's going, etc. That is worse than the others. Now, how can we help the dead? Because the truth of the matter is, the dead, as a basic rule, even though I'm going to show you some exceptions, they need help, not the way that the mediums are saying that they are going to help us. They need help. That message that they've got is demonic, fully, fully, fully from the devil to destroy souls. The devil does not want people to know that there is judgment in the next life, that there's a heaven and there's a hell, especially there's a hell. He doesn't want people to know that. And that's why all these things are fabricated and made up. Don't be tricked with that. The souls, when they depart, are in urgent need of help. The first thing we can do when we know someone's departed is we can light a candle. We can also light candles for the living as well. We can also light them at home. And the best is to try and use pure wax candles. Um, These candles are paraffin. And they're dirty. When we're burning candles, we are offering God something from us. When we go to a person's house and they offer us a cup of tea in a cup which has dried milk inside, I'm sure you would get uh, offended and maybe even vomit that there's off milk. They didn't clean it properly. So when we offer God, whatever we offer him, whether it's incense, candles, we have to offer him the best. So the proper way is that you have wax candles and we pick the best wax, just like in the villages, they used to pick the best oil for the church, as I said last time, the best oil to be burnt, not the the cheap oil and keep the good one for us to eat. Wax candles are more expensive. There's less profit. Serbian churches have wax candles, which is, which is really good. Paraffin is not, not pious. It's not proper. Use wax candles to the best of your ability. If you haven't got them, try and get them. So you put a candle in front of the icon and ask the saint of that icon, the mother of God or Christ to help the soul of that person. Again, whether it's living or dead, but we're talking about the dead now. Saint Seraphim of Sarov lit candles for the dead before the icons in his cell. Therefore, we can light candles in front of icons in our homes as well. And we, and when we light, we say, Lord God, remember this servant, grant him forgiveness, help him, etc." and put the candle there and let it burn. If you can pray at the same time, it's good. But even if you have to do something more, at least the candle remains and the saint is praying. Icon lamps, a lambada as we say, candelion in Greek, an oil lamp. We put that in our icon stands, but we also have oil lamps at the graves. This is pleasing to God, but God doesn't need our oil, doesn't need our candles, doesn't need our money, doesn't need our gold, but It's pleasing to him because this is beneficial for us. It doesn't benefit him, but it benefits us. So the same applies to the icon lamp, which we light on the grave of a deceased person, but you can also have a a, a lambada, candili, as we say in Greek, at home. And if a person dies, you can have one lit there Continually. Being very careful of fires because sometimes um, they spit and they can burn the house. Then you've got to be careful. Some people bl- blow them out when they're not there. I'm not going to say that it's wrong uh, because um, there have been accidents or you can light it in a way where around it there's nothing that can catch on fire. There's, I don't know. Anyway, then we come to the next thing, Arms giving. Arms-giving means when we help the poor. Anyone who has real need and is given arms is, is relieved. So when we come up to a poor person and we give them something and they say God bless from their heart, very powerful for us. You see, we think, some of us, oh, we've got money and we are superior to the poor. But remember that example of, some person who was rich went to the desert and then they got some prayers and then he came back with some gold and wanted to give it to the saint that prayed for him, whatever it was for, and the saint says, I don't want it. He goes, no, please, please, please. And the saint says, look, I left the world. I left the gold. I had all that. I don't want it. So then the, this rich person's chasing this, this ascetic in rags and saying, please take it And then the ascetic said, I'll take one. Why did he take it? Felt sorry for him. So much for the rich. So the ascetic took it and then later on he gave it to the poor for the soul of that person. But he took it as a favour to the person who, who was rich to give him something. The rich need the poor and the poor need the rich. But especially... The rich need the poor. I love this example here. Now, that's for the living. We should give alms for those that have died as well. There was a fisherman once who was indifferent to religion, didn't really believe, and his niece died. And he gave a poor man one of his fish. And in a half-hearted way, I mean, he loved his niece he heard about that people give things to the poor. So he saw this poor person, but in a half hearted way, he goes, Let it be for my niece Maria. And he just gave it to the person. Actually, didn't even say it, he thought about it. But without really believing it. The same evening, his dead niece and Maria appeared to the poor man and said to him, To tell my uncle that I received the fish and thanked him for it. Not that she received the fish, meaning that she received that gesture and that she was benefited from the fact that her uncle gave the fish to that poor man and God took that as being help for the soul that the fish was given for. Now, almsgiving is a very sensitive topic in our times. Do you know why, don't you? Because people have got tight pockets. People find it difficult to open up their pockets. I was thinking about it as I was reading the Gospel this morning in the liturgy of the poor man and the rich man that Lazarus was outside and the rich man was inside. And when Lazarus died, he went to heaven. When the rich man died, he went to hell. And then he asked Abraham, who Lazarus was in his arms, saying to him, Send Lazarus to come and give me even just a a drop of water for me that I'm burning here. And he didn't, he said, No, because you received your rewards, you had your riches, and that's what you've got. There was no mercy for him, but just even a drop of water. There was no mercy for him, because blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He had no mercy. How can he every day walk past this person who's outside his house where the dogs were, were licking his sores and he saw him and he couldn't even give a piece of bread that he had left over, which I'm sure a lot of it he threw away? There was no mercy for that person and we'll give word for that. That's why when I was reading today, I was going, how terrible it is that there are people around us who need help need help but we don't help why because our hearts are hard now some will say I haven't got enough and all this other rubbish and the point is let's put the rubbish away let's put the con away as we say in our con artists the truth of the matter is that we are hard of heart and that our hearts have no mercy for those who are in need here's an example I told once a person that rang me up, go to the nursing home. There's a nursing home. I think the Russians have them, I think the Serbians maybe have them, Greeks have them. And in there I said there are people who need help. And she didn't go. Young people should go too. little children should go as well. Remember, a lot of those people, we don't experience that. A lot of those people cannot even reach for a glass of water. They can't reach for a glass of water, a lot of them are And they have to wait for the nurse, or for the person there. A lot of times those nurses are too busy, or some of them are slack, or the person can't even speak. The nurses are very busy, they're also short-staffed a lot of these places. But if a person's there, like a lay person, an ordinary person can go and to give a glass of water to that person or even to help feed or even to speak to the person. Imagine, and this person actually said to me, the one that didn't go, she actually said to me, I remember, she goes, oh, there was one person there that... She was a woman and she couldn't reach for something, she couldn't do it, she needed something, she couldn't reach and no one could help her. Then one person came along and she said, oh, thank you, thank you, God bless you. But the blessing that came from that person was felt, or even if you don't feel it, it's such a big blessing. Now, those people are everywhere. We don't help them. There's people that live on their own in houses. They're not being helped. Sick people, etc but there are poor people as well. So what can I say about that? That if we don't show mercy, God will not show mercy. Listen to the Gospels. And when you hear it in church or when you read it at home, don't think, oh, that is the Sunday of the rich man and poor man or whatever. And they say, oh, that's a parable. Because sometimes, unfortunately, the priests do kind of say today's lesson, as if they're doing a lecture at a university, and they have it like a, theological story. These are not little stories. They're not meant to be like little stories. They're meant to be things that prick our conscience. That it's, they're meant to be like a knife which goes into our heart and opens up to, a, to make it soft to some degree, to have some feeling and to do what we hear. Don't count the stories like that, all of us. Now, the blessed Luke relates that he had a brother who... Having become a monk, concerned himself little with his soul and died, not having prepared himself for death. Not everyone that becomes monks or nuns actually take care of their soul. In this case, this blessed Luke, I don't know who it is, but um, he had a brother who also became a, who became a monk anyway, and he led a slack live. and he died. The holy elder wished to discover what his brother had been accounted worthy of and he began to pray to God to reveal what happened to this monk Elders can communicate, they can see. I remember when I read St. John of Cronstadt, when someone went up to St. John of Cronstadt and says, My so-and-so died, has she found repose? Or well, he? And St. John of Cronstadt, it says in the story there, he stood there, closed his eyes, whatever, and for a few minutes prayed, and then he came to and he said, Well, not that he was in a trance, but he after he prayed, he came to back to the person and said, She has found repose. She's been saved. The saints had this ability. Now, if you came to me and asked me, I'd say, I don't know, because I haven't got that. But some saints did. One day during his prayers, the blessed Luke beheld the soul of his dead brother in the hands of demons. Meanwhile, money and costly things had been found in the cell of the deceased, from which the elder understood that the soul of his brother was suffering, among other reasons, for breaking the Veil of poverty. When someone becomes a monk or a nun, they give up. They have nothing personal, nothing in their name, nothing. It's just part of the monastery. But this monk had lost himself into the passion of greed and he started to collect things in his cell and hoard them, which a lot of us also do. And the brother, the, the, the saintly brother, understood that his brother was in trouble because of that sin, because when a person becomes a monk or a nun, we say, you know, poverty, chastity, which means to keep their selves clean from sexual sins, and, and obedience. This person was not doing the poverty, was he? So it says here, all the money that had been found, the, the blessed Luke gave to the poor. So he got this stuff from his brother's cell and gave it all away to the poor. But after that, he again began to pray and he beheld the judgment seat of God and the radiant angels contending with the demons for the soul of his brother. Now he saw that there was angels present where his brother was and they were arguing like we said before when Vladimir asked the question. And we say here the demons cried out to God, thou art just. You are a just judge. Thou art just and you have to judge correctly. This person sinned. This is this is this is how they speak. And if you go to churches which I don't want you to but I have encountered in the past possessed people sometimes when they go crazy and they speak from the demons uh, in Greek I've heard it said which means you're not just they're saying to God you're not just this person sinned and you forgive him and they start to like a person going into a tantrum that's how they go he's ours because he sinned and uh, this soul belongs to us, for it has done our deeds. But the angels said that the soul of the dead man had been freed. And the angels answered back, yes, he is. He has done those things. But his brother has prayed and has given alms to, to the poor, which had been distributed for this soul. To this the evil spirits objected, saying, did the deceased distribute the alms? Did he do it? Or did the, did this elder distribute them? Indicating the brother, the, the blessed Luke. The elder was terrified by such a vision that the, the argument that was going on and the horribleness and the, the viciousness of them, of the way that they were arguing for this soul. It is true that I distributed the arms, said the elder, but not for myself, but for this soul, he spoke with boldness. The outraged spirits, hearing the elder's reply, straight away vanished. And the elder, consoled by this vision, ceased to doubt and grieve over the fate of his brother. In other words, the demons left, and that means that the brother was saved through the arms, through the things that were given to the poor on behalf of the soul. That's how powerful giving uh, arms to the poor is, to help the poor on behalf. You can do it for the behalf of your family that's living, Very beneficial. I know people that say, I'm going to give so much money away because I want to do it for my family, but also for the dead. The the abbess Athanasia of Eina, which is in Greece, gave a command and said to her sisters of her monastery, when I die, prepare meals for the poor for 40 days. And she died. But the nuns did this only up to the ninth day. She said, for 40 days I want you to feed the poor. They only did it for nine days. Then she appeared with two angels and said, why have you forgotten my request? Know this, that alms given for a soul until the 40th day and the feeding of the poor move God to mercy as well as the prayers of the priests. So this person came back and said to the nuns, appeared and said that the alms help when you feed the poor, when you give money away, when you feed the poor, the prayers of the priest are very powerful and God and it moves God to mercy. If the souls of the departed were sinful, now we come to the theological thing. If the souls of the departed were sinful, God grant them forgiveness of sins. And if they were righteous, in other words, if they were saved, if they are already saved, then the charity performed on their behalf serves for the salvation of them that perform the works. In other words, if if someone does prayers for a person that's departed and that person's already been saved but we don't know that, so that person's not going to get forgiveness of sins because it's already saved, what happens is that we, in return... Receive the grace and forgiveness of sins, etc. We receive the benefit. Having said this, the Venerable Athanasia drove her staff into the ground and vanished. Her Ab- abbess stick that she has there, the rod, she put it into the ground and she vanished. The next day, the sisters saw that her staff had sprouted. Then they gave glory to God, the Creator of all things. The physical. I thought about this. I like, go, oh, what all that happened. In orthodoxy, we don't just have apparitions and things like that. We like to have also a lot of times uh, physical things that cannot be explained as a confirmation of that apparition or the person appearing. Like, for example, in Greece, in Peloponius, down there the, the bottom part there, the south, there's the place where St Theodora was martyred, who was, I think, 11th century, I can't remember, She dressed up like um, a man because there was no women's monasteries there. She wanted to become a monastic. So she dressed up like a man. She went to a men's monastery. And then there was some uh, robbers in the area and the head robber, his daughter, became pregnant. So she decided with the father of the child, why don't we say it was the monk, which wasn't really a monk, it was a woman. So it's impossible. And they said, let's say it was Theodore because that, that was the name he went by. He said, we'll say that it's Theodore that made you pregnant. And then the father ordered that he be, she be um, uh, executed. So they tied her to the tree and then they uh, stabbed her. But before she died, she made this prayer that she said, may my hair be trees and may my blood be a, a river and my body to be a church. So on that spot, at the time of Hermatidim, water came out from this certain area that there was never water before. And historically, the books have never shown that there was ever water in that area at that moment. And that, ho- and that water was, like, was holy water, which made people better. Also, they built a church, a little stone church. And the church would be, which I've been there, And the church would be, say, from here, say, to the couch, very small church, low, because it was like an 11th century um, type of church, stone church. And on top of the church, there are growing 17 trees because she died when she was 17. The trees are so big that are on this church that you can't put your hands around it, as the video shows, Um, which I'm going to get, I think it's in Greek, but it doesn't matter. So the priest that got up on the roof, he can't put his hands around the tree. There are 17 trees that are higher than this church on top of this little chapel. Now, people have gone there, which we went to as well, and there are no roots. The trees have no roots. When you go into the little chapel and you look at the ceiling, there's no roots. But on top are 17 gigantic trees. See? So when orthodoxy has miracles, it makes sure that the atheists and the unbelievers and the doubters, they can't explain those things. But they can't, just like they can't explain the holy water, and they can't explain the, the, the myrrh. Bearing icons and many other, and the relics of the saints, etc. etc. We're not a religion of fantasy, and that's why she's. Did she see There's other things like that. There's you read the lives of saints, you'll see. Now, let's look at another encounter. There lived in a town two men, they were really close, but they were elderly. I just made up the name, they just put N and V here. I'll just put Nicholas and Vladimir. Say, obviously, it's not you because. These ones lived um, back in 1868. The man named Nicholas, an elderly retired official known for his kind-heartedness and genuine piety. He was a pious man. He was a great friend with Vladimir who had been his companion in childhood and later his colleague in whatever job they were doing. They were of the same age and had similar convictions, beliefs, both pious, both Christians. When Vladimir died, his friend diligently prayed to God to rest Vladimir's soul, and from time to time, he gave alms for the salvation of his friend's soul. He often thought about his friend's destiny. He would often say, what happened to my friend? I wonder where he is. Didn't go to a medium to go and ask, where is my friend and how is he? On the 40th day after Vladimir's death, his friend was sitting in his room. In other words, Nicholas was in the room, sitting down, and he heard the door creak. He lifted his eyes and saw his friend Vladimir coming into the room. I thank, thee, I thank you, my friend, the spirit said, for your diligent prayers and almsgiving, which have helped me so much. With God's help, I am saved from hell and my abode is peaceful. Nicholas was listening to this marvellous visitor. He experienced a feeling of horrified amazement and did not dare to interrupt the spirit. Farewell, my friend said the visitor, until we meet in it, in the next life in eternity. I hope that we will meet soon and shall dwell together. But meanwhile, you must labour for your eternal salvation. Having said these words, he disobeyed behind the door. Nicholas, who had been prius, exerted himself even more in good deeds and devotions, leaving all his earthly cares to his children. Like even here, it he wasn't even... He just decided, you take care of the business or whatever they had. Two years after this vision, he died quietly, peacefully while he was kneeling at prayer. Now, look at the difference here. Firstly, even though this person was pious, he went to hell. We'll come to that later on. But what's important is that his friend that was left behind prayed for his soul and gave alms and he said, because of what you did for me. I was saved. But what's the, you see, got to, there's a little key. See, people, we read these things and we let things pass by and we don't catch. That's why I like to read them to you. Let's catch the thing there. What a great thing that this person who went to hell was able to be released by the prayers of his friend and the arms that he gave. But if you th- remember the talk that I gave on St. Xenia, That when her husband died, the work that she did for his soul, knowing that he died unrepentant when he was at the party and was drunk and crazy and then he just died. And that knocked her out. She obviously loved him, but it knocked her out. She went away somewhere for a few years, then came back and then she did all these good deeds and prayed for his soul and all the good deeds that she was doing, she was doing in his name. These men... This this is the secret. One is that those two things that we would say, oh, prayer, he gave a bit of money to the poor. Yes, prayer and gave a bit of money to the poor was able to get his friend out of hell, number one. And number two, when this person did this, Nicholas, the one that was left behind, when he did this for his friend, he did it with love. That's the important thing. When we do what we do for the dead, when we do it with love and faith. And did you see what he said? He goes, he used to think, what happened to my friend? What happened to my friend? That's love, as St. Maximus the Confessor says. True love is when you care for the soul of the person, not the love that we hear from the newspapers and televisions and all these stupidities that people believe, oh, that's love. I love and love and love and I love you. And it makes you sick when you just listen to it. They've defiled the word. That's not love and relationships and my boyfriend I love him and love her and you wouldn't even know what the word meant. Love is when you care about the salvation of your own soul, obviously, and the soul of others. That's the highest form of love. What did Christ do when he came? God. When he came to earth. God, not just a human being, but human and God. And when we see what Christ did, it's what God is. That's how God is. And what did he do? He, everything that he did was the salvation of souls. Whether he multiplied the bread or whatever he did had one purpose, as it says in the interpretation of the Holy Fathers. He did those things for the salvation of souls. And that's love. And that was so beautiful that even though his friend didn't die in the correct way for some reason, the one that was left behind saved him and saved himself. I remember listening to a Greek talk years ago when I was a layperson. uh, Demetrius Panagopoulos is a layperson and he wasn't a monk, wasn't a priest, he was a layperson, but very, very gifted. And I remember hearing a talk once where he said, And it stayed in me, but when I started reading a lot of this material, it really made sense what he was saying. He said, uh, for some people, it's better if they die. It's better if they die so that those left behind can help them rather than stay back and just bring more sins and more sins and more sins and perhaps blaspheme and die and lose their souls completely. It's beneficial for some people to die and then God, as we're going to read later on, enlightens those left behind to pray for their souls so that they're saved and the people who are praying for them also begin to become conscious of their own soul. Like this tradesman that I was saying to you, when his mother was dying, I had two purposes. One was to help the soul of his mother and the second is through him worrying about the soul of his mother, for him to begin to worry about his soul. That was my purpose. So I was trying to help the two at the same time, trying to help, with God's help, the, his mother that was dying for the salvation of her soul. But at the same time, when I was speaking to him about his mother, I was talking about she has to be prepared and we have to prepare and she has to be helped because she's going to need prayers and this and that and that and that. And, that. and from that, he began to start to think about, oh, well, if I'm doing this for my mother's soul, who's going to do this for my soul? what's going to happen to me when I die, starts to think. In 1973, the mother of a monk, Father Seraphim, of the monastery of St Paul on the Holy Mountain, died. So it was a monk, Father Seraphim, on Mount Athos. This is 1973. His mother died. This monk asked Father Konstantinos, who is a virtuous monk of the same monastery, to pray for his mother's soul. Straight away, if you can find someone virtuous, if you know someone holy get their prayers, but we're going to go on and say there are many ways of helping the dead. Some people go, oh, there's no saints left. There's no one holy. So what's the point? And leave the person like that. We just heard. Even that person that was left behind, the old man, the Nicholas fellow, who wasn't, he was pious, but he just prayed. Doesn't even say he did liturgy. didn't say he did anything. He just prayed and gave money to the poor for his friend and got his friend out of hell. And he wasn't a saint. But he was saved at the end. So the monk asked Father Constantinos, the virtuous monk of the Samanot, to pray for his mother's soul. Father Constantinos did so for 40 days. Then 40 days is important. When this time had passed, Father Constantinos saw in a vision the woman who he did not know. He saw a woman. Who are you? he asked. And she said, Father Seraphim's mother. And what do you want? I came to tell you that through your prayer I found great relief and at the same time I want to thank you for what you did I found great relief through the prayers of this holy man what's this great relief the Holy Father say exactly how much and what is this relief we don't really know but there's a lot of things we don't know but St John Christopher says one thing is all we need to know 100% that they find relief and also can move out if they're in a bad spot. In the life of Saint Thecla, this is while she was still alive, it mentions there that there was a widow who had a daughter. The daughter died, and she went to hell. And by the way, the daughter was not Christian, she was pagan. Saint Thecla was being held by the pagans, and the emperor or someone said to the woman. You guard Thecla, you guard her. But meanwhile, the, the daughter died. And the dead daughter said to her mother, she appeared and said, Mother, love that stranger Thecla and have her as your daughter in place of me, because she's a servant of God and can pray, and the Lord will put me in a place where the righteous are. And this indeed happened through the prayers of Saint Thecla. The daughter went from hell to paradise even though, there's an exception, strange, that she wasn't Christian. You see the difference between these John Edward people and all these other people? See, the dead appearing. What are they saying? Thank you for the prayers. Thank you, you gave me great relief. Thank you, I was in hell and now I've been doing Or um, help this woman... Take care of her, count her as your daughter, because I need her prayers to relieve my suffering from where I am. Different. That's not mentioned in what he's saying now at this moment in Melbourne. In the life of Saint Paisios too, it's mentioned of a monk who was disobedient and went to hell. There was a monk who was uh now we can see the other one was was keeping things. He wasn't keeping his vow of poverty. This one's not keeping his vow of obedience, which is a very big sin for a monk. He um, and his spiritual father prayed and prayed and prayed, couldn't do anything, couldn't get his disciple out of hell. And he went to St. Paisius the Great, very, very great saint of the Orthodox Church, hence the great. St. Paisius the Great, which we have his book at the back, little pamphlet. He was saved and he went to paradise. Through the prayers of the saint, he was able to be removed from hell to paradise. Okay, we have to have our break now. And we'll come back in about 15 minutes. Just one comment that was said, which is important, which i mentioned in talk number two, I think, is that in general we know that The souls don't appear. That's the golden rule. But yet I'm reading some examples of souls appearing. Now, these are obviously exceptions, number one, exceptions. Never seek to communicate or to have someone that's died to come to you, either in your dream or in real life, because... You don't know if it's the person. You don't know if it's the devil. It's that you should never do that. And um, or to see Christ, or to see the Mother of God, or to see the saints, or to see anything—never seek those things. That's the first sign of a person who's ready for deception, and it's very dangerous. From what I've read, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I think Saint Augustine. Uh, mentioned or some other I can't remember now I've seen talk to you I think that when the souls appear they're not actually themselves appearing but, it, but it's possibly their guardian angel in the form of the soul coming on behalf of that soul but whatever it is whether it's the soul which I don't think it is but whether it's the soul or not what we do know is that God's given permission for that to happen for special reasons as we said and the main reason is the salvation of the soul of their own soul. Now, there was a time in Russia, and um, I think um, during the 1960s, if I remember right, I think it's in um, Father Seraphim Rose's book, a lot of souls were appearing to people in Russia. And I think if I can remember correctly, the interpret, the explanation for that was that people had lost their faith, even that souls exist, and that God allowed a lot of these things to occur To make people understand that souls exist. That the person doesn't die and just finishes. That they go into the next life and they live on. So these things that I'm reading to you, they are exceptions. Never seek them out. So we have here another example. There was a monk who was dining with a certain bishop of a certain place. I think it's in Greece. At table, the monk hid his hand with his raso, with his habit. So in other words, I'm not wearing the, one that, the, the, the long one that the, that the monks wear and wearing that. He was covering, because he got the long sleeves, he was covering his hand for some reason. And uh, the bishop noticed this and asked the monk, why are you covering your hand? And he pulled back the, the, the raso there and he uncovered it and then an unbearable smell came out from where it was, the monk explained, my mother was a widow. She was very beautiful and became a harlot, a prostitute, and she died. When I realised the vanity of life, I became a monk. So because of his mother's bad life, it, it affected him and he became a monk. But I was extremely concerned as to whether my mother was saved or not. I went to the desert to see an elder, a famous ascetic and a saint, and asked him about it. For seven days the two of us stood and prayed fervently. The monk and the um, the elder, the same. And in a vision, I saw hell and my mother boiling in the, in, in the cauldrons of hell. Now, the cauldrons of hell is symbolic. There are no pots in hell, but that's what it means. Cauldrons like a pot and the, and all those things. If there are any images. We cannot understand heaven and hell, because they're spiritual realities. They're not... With our minds, we can't understand it. So God allows these things to occur so it can give us some idea of what's going on, that it's like fire, even though it's not, it's far worse, and all these worms and all these things. are all symbolic. They're not um, actual that there's worms and all these other things. It's the way that Christ used to make it sound what it is, and it's even worse than what he said. In a vision I saw hell and mother boiling in the cauldrons of hell and groaning, and she was saying, my child, save me. I snatched her from hell and put her in paradise. Then I awoke, and what did I see? My hand with which I had seized. My mother was injured and stank unbearably as now. In other words, his, his hand got burnt. The holy ascetic had the same vision, the saint that he was praying with. So... Again, this is a person in need of help. This person went and asked the holy person to pray. They both prayed together. And they saw, both saw this vision of the mother burning in hell. And because of the prayers of the son, who's a monk, and the holy father there, that he was able to take his, I mean, using human ways to explain it, not as if you're going to go and take someone out. That's like when you see Christ and it says he trampled down death and it shows Christ on the two doors trampling down. There's no doors. You know, these are all the, the symbol symbolism to help explain spiritual realities. But the thing is that God allowed for this to happen and he also had this burn mark. And the conclusion is that personal prayer, this is not prayers of the church so far, these are all personal prayers. We have. I haven't come to the church yet. Personal prayers on behalf of souls is not wasted. It is certainly beneficial to them. No prayer that has been done for the dead is wasted. It either relieves them temporarily or even can get them out of hell. Not all of them can come out of hell, but as we're going to come, there are certain people that can be relieved and come out of hell, and there's some that can't. But the main thing is that we can give them, even those who are uh, going to be in hell, gives them relief, which is why we have an obligation to pray for our departed brethren, to say, Lord, have mercy for them. What is Lord, have mercy to us? It's a matter of a second. This, the person who wrote this comes from the book um, On Death. I think he wrote this. He's saying, the archman writes saying, what's the Lord have mercy for us? It only takes a second, Lord have mercy on this soul. Just one, Lord have mercy from, our, from the depths of our soul. And he goes, a matter of a second, but for a soul that's in hell, that second is a treasure. That, what, that little Lord have mercy that you save, though it might be just for a few seconds, can even gain eternity, can even grant that person eternal life to be saved. St. John of Damascus relates that a certain holy man had a disciple who was living a negligent and carefree life. And what happened? Death found him in the midst of his carelessness, which is what a lot of us, a lot of us are careless in our our spiritual lives. The merciful heavenly father, roused by the tears and cries of the elder, revealed to him the youth burning in flames up to his neck. So we have a certain holy man who had a disciple who led a bad life and he died in this carelessness. And then God allowed for this elder to see this young man burning in the flames up to his neck, like the merciless rich man mentioned in the parable of Lazarus who was also burning. And when the saint subjected his flesh to strict mortification, in other words, when this holy father began to pray for his disciple, and fast and do prostrations and asceticism, he beheld him in flame, but up to his waist now. Before he's up to here, now it's up to here. Again, symbolism. But what's the purpose? It's to explain that the flames of hell is becoming less. It's lessening. And then it says. Um, Finally, when the holy man increased even more his ascetical labours, yet more, God revealed him in a vision to the elder, removed from the flame and completely free. That's the same as the other one. And these are all by prayers, but prayers of righteous people. Now, some might say, well, if that's the case, why can't I just live it up, do what I want, and then hopefully someone's going to pray for me, but... um. Do you have people around you that are holy, that are going to pray for you like that? Saint John of Damascus says, but who can number all of these testimonies found in the lives of saints and the holy martyrs? All these things that we're reading are in our church books, which clearly indicate that even after death, tremendous benefit is given to, the, to those by prayers, liturgies, and distribution of alms for the poor. For nothing given to God perishes in return, but is rewarded by him with great interest. Nothing is wasted. All our prayers, a candle, an oil lamp, money to the poor, our personal prayers, and later on the priests and things like that, which we're going to come to later, then none of that is wasted for a soul. If we really love the person, we would think to ourselves, what's, where's this person now? What's happening to this person? Like Saint senya She couldn't, as we say, she could not calm down with what happened to the soul of her husband. We miss all that. Oh, Saint Sanya, and Svetik senya and this, and and we do a malebans and then we, we look at the life, we have a thing, and we do our cross and we get oil, we go to the vigil, we and we do all these things. We say, Oh, the life of Saint senya she was a fool for Christ. But we miss a lot of the important Points and one of the biggest things was the love that she had for her husband. It was the death of her husband which made her change. Actually, my mother, for example, she was not really religious. Shops and things just uh, became really involved with those type of things, but when my father became sick, and he because he had diabetes, and the doctor said we're going to have to cut off his leg because, as you know, diabetes, and he had a one of his toes got gangrene and they said they're going to have to cut off his leg and things like that. She became very unsettled. And then she went over to, she went to Greece and she went to her village and she went to a little chapel there and she got the priest to go and do prayers at that chapel. Then she went to my father's on the other side of Greece and she went to his village and did a special prayer there. I don't know, because I was a bit young and I wasn't in the church, so it didn't really, to be truthful, didn't interest me at the time. Now it's starting to make sense. And um, and through all that that she was doing, then she came back, and then they didn't have to do the operation, and he uh, they, did, they did cut off the toes, but they didn't cut off the whole leg, she began to become religious, see from that. So there's all different reasons how people can change. And after he departed, after he finally passed away, then she changed even completely and devoted herself completely to the church, and um, we'll talk about that a bit later on. Uh, now, Evdokia had a child. This is again, a the story there from Russia. Had a child, Raphael, about two years old. He fell ill and was in great suffering. His mother, who had great love for him, was sitting all night at his little bed, unable to tear her eyes away from him but by chance she looked at the door and distinctly saw her friend Maria, who was coming into the room. Evlukia jumped up from her chair and ran to meet her, crying, "Marsha!" Uh, but no one was there. Evdukia felt unwell. That, that very night and that very hour, Maria uh, died, and only later did her friend hear of this. This is where some people have said that the dead have appeared at the time of their death. And again, exceptional it happens why God a lot sometimes when people's faith has gone so dead allows these exceptions to occur to bring up the faith that when we die it doesn't end here that the soul keeps on going that's the purpose there was nothing said just this person appeared and that was the same time that she died she later on found out and that was it An official by the name of Vladimir, someone, tells the following. Um, This is an old story. In 1858, I was working in Moscow. At the beginning of February, I was sent to Archangel, which is a place in Russia, on business, connected with my work. And before my departure, I wrote my mother, who was living in Petersburg, and very much asked her to bless me as I was going on a journey. So he wrote a letter. No telephones like we have now. Then I left. During one of my stops at a station while I was going to lie down on a couch... And rest. I was greatly surprised to see a few steps away from me my mother and also my sister, who had died um, uh, twelve years before that. But his mother was still alive, because he, as, as he thought, struck uh, by this uh, unfathomable vision, I was unable to move from my spot. Intently and with some strange fear, I kept looking at these beloved women, who so incomprehensibly appeared to me. My mother, like the real person, blessed me by making the sign of the cross with three fingers, not like the priest. I suddenly took a match, lighted a candle, and the vision disappeared And from the lighted room. This happened after 2 o'clock in the morning on February thirteenth, 1858. When I arrived at Archangel, which is where he was going, a city in, in Russia, there, I received a letter from my brother-in-law, notifying that my mother died the night of February the 13th, which is the night that he saw his mother. No message, no. that was nothing there. I, I, I took these two, just two I picked, on purpose to show that there's no message, nothing said, they didn't ask for prayers, they didn't thank for prayers, they didn't do anything. They just appeared and I believe, from what I've read as well, that that comes just so people can know that the soul exists and that there is a next life. But unlike the John Edward things that he's doing tonight down there, where everyone's coming to him and telling him to tell the people about how it's like in the next life, etc., etc., the main things that occur for us as Orthodox Christians are the following example. It says, um, I came home from church one Easter morning and went to bed. As soon as I fell asleep, I heard someone crying bitterly at the head of my bed. My heart went out to this voice. I was afraid to open my eyes and timidly asked, Nada, my dear, is it you? I feared the answer that would follow, for it occurred to me that this was my sister, Nada, who had died long ago. Perhaps she did not attain life eternal. so And had now come to ask for my prayers. That's the usual. That's that's beautifully said. Straight away, as soon as she heard this crying, she thought to herself, it must be my sister. She must be asking for prayers because she didn't, she didn't make it to heaven. That's the orthodox teaching. But what I heard in response to my question was, no, I'm not Nada. These words were uttered in a girl's voice, sad and sweet, and trembling with emotion. Who are you, I asked. Tell me what you need. I shall do everything you ask me. My visitor broke into sobs. Oh, she was crying. I'm Barbara. For God's sake, pray for For me, and then the cries died away. I opened my eyes and saw that the room was already light and that no one was there. When my husband's relatives came to visit, I asked my brother-in-law, what was the name of your sister who recently died in Moscow? And he said, Barbara. I then told him about the vision. He was struck by it and immediately took care that his sister should be remembered by the church. What did she say? For God's sake, the spirit said, for God's sake, pray for me and have me remembered at the liturgy. You won't hear those things with those other accounts of those mediums. That's why I'm reading these things on purpose. Now, some of you will say, oh, it's scary, and oh, look, I'm not interested in scares and things like that. You, a lot of you people watch all this rubbish on TV and watch all these scary things. Some fellow in America, was, he's divorced and he's having trouble with his wife about something to do with... Halloween, and she lets her children dress up like devils and witches and things, and he got very upset because he's, he's, he's more spiritual. And I said to him, look, don't talk to her about um, spiritual things because these people are worldly. They don't understand. They just think, oh, he's fanatical. Go find some secular things. I said, I'll find some. So I went on the internet and I found a section there on Halloween which was written in some newspaper over there saying that uh, psychologists have found that a lot of the children's problems, especially around Halloween, is because they are scared because there's witches and goblins and people dress their houses up. Like, you know how people do Santas here before, in front of their house with all sleighs and that? Well, over there, completely crazy, they put tombstones and things like make it all like and coffins and, and, and introduce death to kids who don't understand death and they get scared and they get anxiety and depressed. I said to him, give her that waste your time about spiritual these people don't understand give them that and see that they're gods the psychologists look look what your god says psychologists have said that halloween is very very detrimental for children but we can't we, we can't say christ says we can't say the saints say because these people don't believe a lot of times well give them what they want and if you still doesn't listen well that's no good Unless this guy pays Oprah or someone like that to go and personally come over, maybe because if she says it, then it, but no one's gonna go against it. Which person's gonna go against Halloween in America? Which celebrity's gonna go against Halloween? And they're there and they're doing uh, with skulls and scaries and ghosts and these oh, you say to yourself, Well, don't people see this? Can't people see that this is ridiculous? But no one will speak up. Because, like the Harry Potter, why didn't hardly no one speak up? As some did, and they said, oh, they're fanatical. But in general, no one spoke up. Why? Because you're going against literature. You're going against the children reading. See how they mask it? They mask it in something good. Children are learning to read. It's it's fantasy. It's good for the children to use their fantasy. Even though the church fathers say that fantasy is a destruction. And if you go against it, it's like you are backwards that you are the worst in the world because you are going against uh, literature. So if any priest speaks up, oh, he's fanatical, he's backward, he's a stupid person. So going with the world is easy, going against the world is hard. And hence that's why a lot of priests sometimes don't go against and say, oh, I can't do anything. The blessed monk Luke tells the following, a prince of my country died and was buried according to custom. Once when I was passing the burial ground, I saw a man as black as coal standing near one of the graves. Again, as I said, I don't like a lot of these um, accounts, but they're good to be read because, as I said, these are exceptions and they're allowed by God if the church recognises them. And these things have been recognised they're not going to anyone that comes along and says oh guess what happened this and this happened I prefer to say I don't know if someone else tells me something how do I I know did they make it up did they dream it is it true it's not true you know then but you always got to be careful what's the message what's the message is it repentance is it the soul is it the soul needs help what's the message let's see what the message here is once, this person said, he was going past a cemetery and he saw a man as black as coal standing in one of the graves and called me. I approached and heard him saying, now this black soul was saying, I asked in my last will that a sum of money specified by me should be given to the poor for the salvation of my soul. But this my will is yet unfulfilled. Don't trust people to leave behind and say, look, when I die, give this money for the liturgy. And do... Uh, people don't, A lot of times people don't do that unless they're really pious and even then you're not even sure. Fix it up beforehand. Always prepare for your soul. Trust no one. This person, why didn't you give the money away before? For his soul. But he waits until he dies and now, and now that, which is a good, it's, it's, it's a good lesson, this one. Some people say, oh, my, my children will take care of me. But most children won't even take care of their parents and put them in nursing homes if they're going to take care of them when they're dead. Tell them to give the money instantly or else I shall forever remain such as you see me now. And that's the end of the story. Whether, they, whether that, so Basically, um, we need to work out for our soul for the next life. Stay close to monasteries, stay close to priests, and do what you can now. you got, you got money. You don't wait and say, now when I die, give $50 to the church. Or when I die, you know, give some money for the poor. You've got to be really, really careful with that, as he did. And that was a good example there. So in this case, those two examples that we read, these souls appeared... Begging for help, not what we heard what we hear from today 's modern appearances or m- people communicating with the dead we don 't hear that it 's always they 're well they 're happy where they are they 're waiting for you. So these John Edwards and other people who say you know they 're waiting for you when you die to be with them. Barbecue together, and um, you know we could even go to the point and say, "Can you ask? Can you ask my dead mother? Do they have Worcestershire sauce there? Because I love my barbecued meat with sauce. Can we go as stupid as that?" Mm. Our father, the Holy Mountain, writes about an Archbishop who suffered from severe attacks of melancholia, which is melancholia, which is like a top of depression that comes sometimes. Elder Joseph suffered from that a little bit. Sometimes it could be physiological. He diligently prayed God to help him. This um, person who was suffering from this melancholy, he asked God to take it away from him. One evening, as he was so praying, he saw a light appear in his room. Then he saw a woman, and after he had looked carefully at her, he recognised that she was his mother that had departed from this life. Why are you weeping so bitterly, my son, she asked. And do you understand what you are asking of God, she's saying. Is it difficult for the Lord to fulfil your request, but do you realise of what you would deprive yourself if it is granted? Do you know what she's talking about? She's saying, why are you asking for this cross that you've been given, this melan- melancholia, why are you asking for it to go and to lose your reward? If God wants, yes, He can take it away from you. So His mother, with God's permission, came, uh, appeared, and said to him something spiritual, something which is orthodox to carry your cross, etc. Not stupidities. Do you know what you're asking for yourself? She instructed him on the virtue of patience, and then became invisible. Different, beautiful. So, so far we've seen asking for prayers. Now we see something similar to these people that what they're communicating that the dead come back to help the others. Well, that one was a help, but not what they're saying what color the house to do and that decision you're going to make is really good and all these other stupidities. There was a well known author who said a story about himself. And he said that um, when he was young, he was studying there at school and uh, his father, his family lived on an island somewhere away from him in Russia. And one night, um, so his father, did not re- he rarely came to visit him because they lived so far away. So one night um, when he had gone to bed, he was reading a book, he saw the door open and my father come in. He looked pale and sad. And I knew of his concern for me, and was therefore not at all surprised. These doors opening—why would the souls open doors when they can just come in? And I thought about that. Do you know the answer—the same as when someone's dying, they see visions of people that have died. When they're hallucinating on their own drugs, a lot of times they see in people that are—they see people that are living because it's their imagination. But authentic. A lot of times when we read these in the soul after death, etc., they see the souls of those who have already departed. Do you remember what I said in the, in the talk number two or one? Why that happens, why God allows that? To help prepare the soul for the next life. To say, oh, there's my mother, there's my father. And to help them not to be scared as they're la- leaving this life to the next life. The same thing here. If a person's in his room and it's locked and all of a sudden he sees something like that, he's going to get scared. So it becomes like the door opens in order for the person not to get shocked, not to become scared, not to have a heart attack, one can even say, on on a human thing. So people, when they're dying, it's true that they do see apparitions of their dead ones. God allows that to occur so that they can introduce them slowly into the process of death, which for a lot of people is scary. But when they see their father, their grandmother, their uncle, their brother, it's like, oh, there they are. Oh, I want to be with them. And they leave their bodies much easier than being scared to go. Again, Orthodox teaching. So he saw the door open and then all of a sudden he saw his father, but the father was pale and sad. I knew of his concern for me and I wasn't surprised, which is a which is point I was trying to say. He uh, was late. He came up to me and said, Vasya. What's that? Vasya. Was that Basil or something? Basil. So Basil, I have come to give you my blessing. And that's good. Father's blessing, very important. A no, parent's blessing. And now the next part. Listen to the, a true parent's blessing, not the parents that are dying and say, what I want from you, my son, is to become a professor, a lawyer, a doctor. But what was the blessing of the father? Let's have a look. Live an upright life and do not forget God. Having said this, my father blessed me and disappeared through the same door. His visit was not an extraordinary event. So this person didn't even get really shocked, which is, which is what I said before. And, and it made no real impression on him because he knew that his father was concerned and his father speaks like that. But can you imagine my amazement at what happened later, a short time after uh, someone came to the door, knocked on the door, and it was, the, it was their um a person with the horse and cart thing that came to pick him up and said, your father had just died. I found out that my father had died no more than an hour ago at practically the same time when I saw him in my room. It became clear to me that my father came to me after his death in order to give me his parental blessing. That's a blessing. Read the Old Testament, read the lives of saints to see how parents bless their children. You don't hear that much anymore. A parent to be sane, live a godly life, do not deny Christ, be an orthodox Christian. No, we don't hear those things. Money, you hear some parents say as they're dying. Money. (laughs) And their hands drop. In the 1830s, there was a, I like this one, there was two officers and both were excellent navy men. I made up two names because it said P and T, so I made up uh, Peter and Thomas, say. Eh? They were great friends. Once when Thomas was getting ready for some expedition, he was going to go out, probably move the boat, and he said to his friend, I'm going to see anything may happen. Give me your word of honour that you will do what I ask you. And can you doubt me, Peter asked. Tell me what you wish and I'll do it because I'm your best friend, etc., etc. If I should die, I want you to marry my widow. And be a father to my son. Dear me, what are you saying? Are you in your senses? Your trip is a minor one. You will come back. Besides, you're an excellent swimmer. Nothing's going to happen to you. Don't speak like that. There is no need to talk about that. I asked you to give me your word. Be it so, if it will calm you. So his friend said, okay, if it calms you down. The friends parted. Several months passed. One night... Peter dreamed of Thomas, who was saying to him, you must keep your promise and get married. When he woke up, he thought it was only a dream. Meanwhile, no one heard anything about the the expedition. After a while, Peter once more dreamed of his friend who was reminding him of his promise, and soon after that, the Navy was notified that Thomas had drowned. Again, something of significance, and um, not uh, trivial matters and promises that are made. You might say, well, what's this just a marriage? What's so spiritual about that? It's a promise that you're going to take care of this widow and this orphan. When we make promises to someone, especially before they die, you know, it's meant for you to fulfil your promise, and that's what it's shown here. It might not be spiritual as such, but it is actually We think it might not be. Blessed Augustine, the one I was saying before, tells the following. When he was in Milan, he knew of a young man who was constantly being persecuted by the creditor of his father. The young man's father was dead and paid his debt. So the father owned some money. He paid it and died. But the creditor, the one who he owed the money to, on purpose was lying and saying to the son, oh, your father didn't pay me. Give me the money. I want to double the amount. The father, however, appeared to his son and pointed out to him where he had put away the written note. The son found it and was freed from much trouble. Now, again, that might not seem spiritual and, uh, and important, but again, it's like it's such a sin to actually say that someone owes you money when they've paid you back and all. This. These are very big sins or not keeping your promises. We've gone to the stage where we just don't care anymore, lie, Perjure, if we go to court, don't fulfil promises. It's like it's nothing for us anymore. Now, this one here is going to be a bit hard for you. No, it's not scary, but I'll tell you how how to cope with it. You've got to have your hands on your sides, and you'll see one in a minute. Just pretend that you've got your hands on your side. Once, on your side of your, of your, of your um, hips there, once there was a holy monk, Akakios, Praying. He fell into ec- ecstasy and saw a marvellous man who took him by the hand and brought him to a field which seemed limitless and contained many beautiful buildings which seemed uninhabited. So this holy monk was praying and then someone came and took him, obviously an angel, and took him to heaven and showed him these beautiful buildings, etc. Not that heaven has buildings, but as we said, these are ways for the people of earth to understand spiritual realities. Surprised, Akakios asked his guide... Why are they empty? The guide, probably the angel. These places are prepared for those Christians. This is this happened during the Turks' time when Greece and Serbia, I think, another other country, were overrun by the Turks. They were conquered by the Turks. So, in parts of Greece, some of them were there for five hundred years, and um, southern Greece was four hundred. And up the top there in Thessalonica, I think they just got rid of the Turks in 1900s. It could even be people alive now who actually lived under their um, rule. And he said, These places are prepared for those Christians who pay taxes to the Turks and fulfil other duties put upon them and suffer all this for Christ's sake, thanking God the while. When the vision was over, Cactius called his disciples and bade them to pay their taxes to the Turks. We must have sympathy with others who pay taxes to them, he said. Do you understand why you put your hands on your side? You know? Not to lose the money, pay tax. It's hard for some people. I remember once I did this a few months ago, and someone said to me, um, oh, the person that I came to the talk with said, oh, that's for the saints. So only saints pay taxes? That's only saints can pay taxes. I never knew that. I only said so so we who are sinful or we that aren't saints we don't have to pay tax we we don't have to pay taxes we can rob the government. And this example which I've told you before and I never knew where I got it from I just stayed in my mind when I read it 20 years ago and I have said this example and there it is. The fact is that the Turks the Muslims in those times were taxing the Greeks badly, the Orthodox Christians, really, really unfairly, very high taxes. And not only that, but they were making them do other things which was difficult. And God, who said, give Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, a commandment, give the government, whoever it is, Caesar or whatever, give Caesar that which is Caesar's, in other words, pay your tax, that which belongs to them, and give to God what is God's, meaning our devotion, our life, our spiritual life, our prayers and things like that, spiritual struggles, repentance. So the monks and the priests were teaching the Greeks in that time to give to the Turks their taxes, even if it's unfair, Today, people believe that it's not a sin not to pay taxes. I've said in the past that when I used to do a lot of confession before, people that came to me, we used to sit down and work out all the taxes together. Okay, whenever you worked, was that job? Yeah, black money there. Okay, pay that back. How much is that? How much did you get, do you think? How much would you have got? You work it out, come back with me with a figure, they come back with a figure and say, OK, now pay the tax department back. If you overcharge someone, if you're a tradesman, for example, and you robbed people, if you can find the people, give them the money. If you can't because they've gone or whatever, give it to the poor. Uh, can we give it to you? No, because if you give it to me, one, you're going to say that I'm only telling you that to get the money. I don't... No. You give it either to the poor, give it back to the, to the government... Or give it back to the people that you robbed. This sin of taxes and robberies and false insurance claims and getting social security, is that what it's called now? For for, You know, like uh, cheating and all that type of thing. All these things will haunt us in the next life. And I've spoken to so many people and people have said to me, I was speaking to a woman and she said uh, that her husband was doing it for years. And she goes, "We've, we've got nothing, nothing, everything's cursed nothing didn't pay any taxes but everything's cursed and other people have told me the same nothing's come out you can let go of your sides now but that's the truth now can you imagine how many people when they hear that aren't going to come anymore so what do I do I've got to make a decision say if I say it I'm going to lose a lot of people because people aren't going to pay taxes and then the hall will be empty. So I say to myself, well, if I don't say it, I go to hell, because as a priest, that's, my, that's what I'm meant to do, and I've got to teach that. And there a lot of people, by the way, will listen and will do it. A lot of people won't. That's not my job. My job is to tell the people the truth. God allowed this angel or saint or whatever to appear to this monk and said, pay the taxes. That's faith. People say to me, oh, if I, if I pay the taxes, I'm not gonna have enough for the children. You see them five years later, what's happening? I um, oh, we divorced, or uh, my children are on drugs, or something like that, or just all this whole mess, whole mess, some of them, uh, they said, oh, I've gotta pay money now for psychiatrists, and others for doctors, and others for medications, and others go to mediums, go to magicians so they can pay and big money they pay for the magicians so they can do some spell to make their family go well or their businesses to go well because everything's going downhill. It's going downhill because of the taxes. Pay it and we'll see how you go. Did that ouch a bit? It's meant to do. It's meant to hit the heart. And for people to come to, to to their senses, I used to teach I used to teach I had a job I had two jobs actually when I was teaching I had my government my, my job that I was getting taxed, and I also was doing tutoring. I used to have twenty five students at one stage, and that was uh, I think I was getting more than what I was getting as a teacher as, as a tutor and in those days, I wasn't in the church. To me, it was a way of life. That's why, when I'm speaking, I know I'm, it's a way of life. It's just that you don't think that it's bad to do that because that's what everyone does. And when you've got jobs like that, whether you're a tradesperson or shop, like a shop, they don't declare their their money. They might make two thousand dollars in takings and they only declare five hundred a week. It's easy to do. As a as a teacher, when I did the tutoring, I used to get in those days what would Thousands of dollars, which would be equivalent now. And I didn't pay taxes. So um, when I realised that this is serious and this is going to chase me in the next life, I paid it back. Simple. You work it out, how much it is, and you pay it back. So I don't like theory. I'm not a person of theory. And you feel much better too. These things are are, are burdening our souls. They need to be... You need to get rid of that. And stealing, all those things. If you stole, pay it back. There was a man who, around 50 years old, and he was a strong person, but he fell seriously ill and died within two weeks. He left behind him his wife and a son, whose name was Anton, who was about 20 years old. One night, six weeks after his death, his wife woke in her bed and heard someone weeping. There was no one in the house except her and her son. She listened close and discovered that the person who was weeping was her husband. So what do you think he's come and he's weeping because he's coming to? What do you think he's coming to do? Yes. Uh, haven't read that one, that someone's going to die, actually, that one. What's the usual thing that they're coming to say? Ask for prayers. Ask for prayers. So let's have a look here. She lighted a like, a like a torch there and indeed saw her husband, who was standing near his sleeping son and weeping. Although the woman was very frightful, she gathered her courage and said, Why have you come, Simon? I, do, I don't suppose you were a magician while you were alive? Because, you know... Um, She got scared and said, well, maybe he's a magician. How can he appear? Like She didn't know. I had to come to you, and so I have come. Don't speak nonsense about things which you don't know. Why then are you weeping over your son? Because he was crying over the bed of the son, 20-year-old guy. I'm weeping because you don't look after him. And the wife said, how's that? Quite simply, Anton is in love with a Catholic and is about to marry her. And she said, Simon, this cannot be. What do you mean it cannot be? I know everything, he says. Um, woman, do not argue with me. You've got to be careful. Woman, don't argue with me because the feminists might get upset. Cause he's calling her... But in in Greek and Russian, yuck, woman is like saying Yneka, which we say wife or woman. Like, but not in a, it's not a negative way. I mean, they just... Um, Feminists find anything these days. But speak to your son. You are his mother and he may listen to you. But if you do not find the time to convince him, I take him to myself in 10 days from now. So this soul is not actually coming to ask for help. He's actually giving help. But something specific, something really important that concerns him, that his son is going to marry a Catholic person. The woman began howling with fear and grief, about her son that that is going to die because he said, if you don't fix it up, I'm going to take him. Not that really he can have that power. It's God's power. God allowed him to say that. It's with God's permission. Souls cannot come like when someone goes to that John Edward fellow and then says, I hope that he can talk to my dead husband. Then all of a sudden, he starts to talk and says, your husband's here? You know, it's like, you know, like, Clip their fingers and here comes the husband and that John Edward can bring up souls from the dead whenever he feels like it. Can't do that. These things are all with permission from God. Even the saints can't come to us without permission of God. The woman began howling with fear and grief. Her son woke and the apparition vanished. The mother began questioning her son, was he really in love? He began to deny but later he confessed being in love with the daughter of the supervisor of a neighbouring estate whose parents would never allow her to marry a peasant and particularly an Orthodox who was, in other words, he was planning to marry a Catholic, which in Orthodox Russia, I don't know what year was this,
1: 1868,
0: depends on the area, those things were not really... uh, um, as rampant as today. So it was really out of the ordinary, one can say. But still, we can learn from that for mixed marriages. The mother began questioning, and so thus Anton and his girlfriend decided secretly to flee to Galatia and there to be wedded by a unit priest. What's a unit priest? A unit priest is a Catholic priest who is dressed up and does the exact thing as the Orthodox Church, but they commemorate the Pope. They're called Uniates. The Catholics knew that they can't convert Orthodox to Catholicism because Catholicism is so different and so dry that the Greeks or Russians or whatever won't change. So what the Catholics decided to say, okay, what we'll do is We'll make what's called an Eastern Rite Church, a church which looks exactly orthodox. Icons, the priests, the vestments, the services, the liturgies, everything is exactly orthodox, but they're under the Pope. The only difference is that whether, where we say our Patriot elects, they'll say for the Pope of Rome and things like that. That's the only difference. Everything else is even the dogmas, the beliefs, the, the I believe... Even though the, the Catholics have changed the I, the I believe in one God, they say, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the who proceeds from the Father and the Son, which is heresy, in these union churches, they actually say it in an orthodox manner, as long as they can trick. And because of that, millions of orthodox converted to this union church. So he knew that he would never be able to get married in Russia in those days, so he decided to go with his girlfriend down there to this Galatia, which was a place where there's, these Uniates were. Which, by the way, these Uniates are still causing a lot of trouble in Orthodox uh, countries, especially southern Russia. I think the Ukraine, I'm not sure. I think they've got a lot of Uniates down there. And even though the uh, these ecumenists say to these Catholics, you know, if you want this dialogue to go on, You've got to, you've got to stop this union church. You've got to stop it because this is not going to allow us to talk, to join together, etc. And the Catholics goes, yeah, 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 because they consider Orthodox stupid, and in a way they are. The the ecumenists that go, and then don't, but they don't stop. Year after year, they continue with this doing these things in Orthodox countries, tricking Orthodox people to become under the Pope. So, if they were very sincere, they would stop all that. But they're not sincere because the purpose of the Church of Rome is to make everyone under the Pope. They'll never change. They've changed not one dogma in all the years of their dialogues in ecumenism, etc. They've changed not one dogma. And the Orthodox go there with their mouths open as if they're. Sitting at their master when he's opening a can of power to give it to them, and they're there with their tongues out and saying, Oh, they're gonna change, they're gonna change. And the behind their backs, the Catholics are saying, eggheads. Because <laughs> that's what that's that's how they look at us. They look at us as fools. The, the, the Roman Church. Anyway, so they were gonna flee in ten days. When the fate day had come. Anton quickly left the house early in the morning while his mother was still asleep. His betrothed was already waiting for him in her vegetable garden there near her house. He took from the stable his best horse, an animal which he had not ridden much before. Suddenly the horse kicked him in his right side. Anton lost consciousness and that evening he was dead. And he passed away into the next life but not married, to, of course, to a union and denied because when you become a union... You're denying your orthodoxy. You become Roman Catholic. And a conscious orthodox Christian knows that if you deny your orthodoxy, then that's one of the conditions, which we'll read further on, where there is no salvation because you have left the church. Those others who were in hell and things like that, they never... Officially left the church. Yes, they died in sins, probably we, we, we will die in sins as well. But they never left the church and they still wanted to be saved, but they got bl- bl- blurred up in their ways and things like that. The next part now. One of the novices of, at Man Athos revealed the following to a monk of the Holy Mountain, the well known Father Seraphim. So they mentioned this Father Seraphim, must have been maybe a Russian elder that was in Man Athos at that time. I became a monk before I saw in a dream uh, the future destiny of sinners. This happened after I had been greatly weakened by an illness which lasted two months. And he saw two youths who entered his room, took him by, by the hands and said, follow us and had no longer any illness. I got up, looked back at my bed. So obviously he left his, he died. He left his body, I think, I meant, and saw my body lying there quietly. Which is those things of those things that I said in talk number one, where a lot of people have experienced that, but unfortunately a lot of those experiences teach things which are unorthodox. Let's have a look at an orthodox one. Then I understood that I had left the earthly life and had to appear in the other world. That he died. I recognised the youths were angels. They showed me the places of torment which is an orthodox teaching, and I heard there the groans of sufferers. As the angels showed me the flaming places, appointed for various sins, they added, if you will not set set aside your sinful habits, you too will have your punishment here. So this particular novice monk uh, was not leading a proper life. And they said, if you don't fix yourself up, then you will come here as well. One of the angels took up from the flame a man as black as coal, so as he was in hell one of the angels took out of the flames a man soul a soul of a man who was black who was black he was as burnt as coal and bound in chains hand and foot as i said there are no chains there are blackness and all these things in the other life these things are symbolic a way to explain the other life how are we going to explain it we we as i said it's a spiritual uh, thing and it's too difficult to understand in world. That's what Christ used. The kingdom of heaven is like, you know, and he's explained things using uh, sea and fishes and wheat and all these type of things that he that, that Christ used. He um, now this is beautiful. Both angels approached the sufferer, took off his chains, and his blackness disappeared and the chains disappeared. He became as pure and light as an angel. His soul became white. The angels clothed him in a brilliant clothing which looked like light, which is again symbolic that the person's sin. Well, we'll see in a minute. What does this change mean? I dared to ask. And the angels answered, This sinful soul was separated from God for its sins and had to burn eternally in these flames, which is obviously the punishment that people get when they sin. Seriously, and we not, there's no repentance, slackness, etc. But listen to that. He said that this soul was meant to be in hell forever, eternally. Meanwhile, and this is the beauty of it now, this soul's parents kept, he, kept giving alms to the poor for the soul of their son, remembered it at the liturgy. Had Panahira's memorial services, you must, as we say in Greek, said for it, and now for the sake of the parents' prayers and the church's prayers, or together, God had mercy on the soul and has completely pardoned it. It now is freed from eternal torments and will stand before the face of its Lord and be joyful with his saints. And hence, what we heard in the church today. Give rest, O Lord, to the souls of thy departed servants. When we're praying like that, we are really assuming that they have not reached heaven and forgive them their sins. That's what the church prays for. How much the church prays for the forgiveness of the sins of those that have passed into the next life. When my vision was ended, I came to myself and saw people whipping around and what they considered to be my dead body, which was prepared for being prepared for burial. That is a full orthodox account of uh, a person that's died out I think they call it out-of-body experiences and came back. But look at the difference between that and what other people hear and flowers and trees and they saw this and they saw uh, um, one person I if I remember from that talk that I did. Talk number one that one person went somewhere and it was like a lunar park. That they went; it was all like rides. In the next life, as lunar park, and dodgeham cars, <laughs> and big dippers and things like that. So um, you see, people's perception of the next life is worldly. However, there are, but very exceptional, even those who are orthodox who have died and come back. Some have come back and have described hell. And why? As I said before, God allows that to happen for those who have a good heart, those who haven't been exposed to the truth of Christianity to the in, in the right way, to see. Hey, it's not just that. There's hell as well, and that's out of God's love, where He doesn't allow every single thing which goes out there to be of these beautiful little fields and waters and fountains and birds, etc., etc. Any uh, questions? Yes? I think you're speaking about the vision of St. Andrew the Fool for Christ, which is in the prologue, which was that St. Andrew the Fool for Christ was walking along and he noticed the funeral. And he noticed that there was... Angels that were far away from the coffin walking further away and they were crying. And then it's the demons that were jumping around the coffin and laughing and grunting and acting in certain horrible ways. And it was said that um, they were laughing because the people, the, the, the church, the priests, and all the people were singing, um, you know, all these beautiful traparia about the soul going into the next life, etc. But this person was a horrible person that had died fully unrepentant and they were laughing at it. And it shows there that. Um, uh, like to be truthful personally I would really find it hard to do a funeral for someone who I know did not really lead a spiritual life and I mean you don't know what they thought before their death but still sometimes you just don't get a good feeling and then when you're a parish priest you've got to perform these services for people who uh, never went to church at all didn't care and even said right up to the time they died, they don't even believe. And, the, and then their relatives bring them there to the church. What are you going to say? Don't do it. I mean, thanks, God, I'm not in the position to have to do that. And baptisms and marriages, like now to marry, to marry two people who have nothing to do with the church, that slept together the night before, didn't even care, et cetera, and then to come and do a wedding service, and say the servant of God is wedded to the servant of God. Like, to me, that's mockery, etc. Yes? Uh, if there's someone
1: that's not in the church, properly, but do, but really, like, hit is
0: that making up for it or could help? You know, it's up to the bishop. At the end of the day, it's up to the bishop. Just my conscience, I don't like it. I can get out of it. I'm not a parish priest. I feel sorry for the parish priest. They've got a lot of difficulty with marriages and baptisms and sacrilege and, you know, coming with all these horrible clothes on and knowing that they're going to go later on after the wedding to the hall to play heavy metal to Satan. And all the heavy metal, which is specifically it 's not just ah oh, it's not it's, some of these songs are fully demonic, where they actually say demonic references, and they 're going to go there after they 've gone to the church. I would say to the people, i can 't do that it's just it 's just blasphemous, and the other thing that you said before during the break, which was good, was that uh, when you're in Greece, you said that um, you're at a monastery, and the nuns told you a story of a priest who was at the Proskomidi, which is when he's preparing for the liturgy. He's got the, well, the bread that's going to convert into the, uh, change into the body of Christ, and he's commemorating the dead, which we're going to come to that on more. And he, as he was commemorating, he felt about a certain soul that something was wrong. And that's true, which I, I have experienced that too. The, and he asked the nuns, he goes, something's wrong with that soul, That soul needs a lot of help. And the nuns began to pray for the soul of that person. And it's true that priests, which will will come, maybe not now, but in God willing in January, uh, because we're coming to our end now, there's much more I wanted to do on the next talk. And I'm not going to give up this talk. I'm going to make sure I finish it with God's help. Whatever. I want to finish this talk. It's very important. There's a whole section there on... um, liturgy etc but before we go on to that i'm going to now tell you how does the church pray for the dead the church prays for the dead every day in vespers in matins it actually in monasteries where these services are done every day but also in parishes where they're not done every day but when they whenever they do vespers and matins the priest says again we pray for the blessed and every the founders of this holy church those who built the church and the servants of God. He reads the priests can read names of those who have newly departed, or those who some people have said, I want you to pray for my father, mother, etc. And all our fathers and brethren, the Orthodox departed this life. In other words, for all Orthodox Christians who are before us, who are here and in all the world lie sleep in the Lord. What is who here? In here means those who are buried here, because a lot of churches were built in graves, graveyards, cemeteries, who lay here. Or we can say, if I would say it, I would say, who lay here, botany, botany, where the, or the other one up there, what's it called? Rookwood and things like that, who lay here. And everywhere, those who, all Orthodox, everywhere who lie asleep in the Lord. We're praying for that. In compline, the priest says, let us bless God fearing leaders, Orthodox bishops the founders of this holy church or monastery and our parents and teachers and all our fathers and brethren gone before us, the Orthodox who hear and every lie asleep in the Lord. That's in Compline. When you people read Compline as well, which is in the books, they also have prayers. At the midnight service, which is at midnight when the monks and nuns get up in the stricter monasteries when they start to pray. They usually start the the day of a monk or a nun if they're strict monasteries um, start at 12 o'clock midnight, basically. That's what's called the midnight service. That's the first service that they do. They've slept a few hours and off they go to church and every midnight service they read, Remember, O Lord, those who have fallen asleep in the hope of resurrection to life eternal, our fathers and brethren, and all who have completed this life in reverence and faith. Pardon them every transgression, both voluntary and involuntary. Yes, now we, I can say... They've led their life with reverence and faith but still have sins. So the priest is asking that those people be forgiven their sins both voluntary and voluntary whether committed in word or deed or thought and grant to them a place of brightness a place of refreshment a place of repose where all sickness, sorrow and sin have fled away because when we are saved there's no more sickness there's no more sorrow there's no more crying there's no more pain that all vanishes And where the visitation of thy countenance gladdens all the holy ones from the ages, grant to them and to us thy kingdom and participation in thine inexpressible and eternal good things and the reward of thine unbounded and blessed life. Look at all the prayers. That's why we say a monastery, a monastery, yes, the churches do that as well, but they don't serve as often. But a monastery is praying every day, not only for the living, but for the dead. And that is very, very important. Even if People have not given the names, let's just say, even it's better when you've given names, but the church, in particular the monasteries, pray for every Orthodox Christian that has died, asking that they be forgiven, etc. Now, we come to the time before the liturgy, which is called the proskomidi, I think they say in Russian, I'm not not sure, proskomidi in Greek. I don't even know how it's even said in English. I get, When you use a lot of languages, you get mixed up. Anyway, that's when the priest, there's the, there's the altar table, and sometimes you notice that the priest is on the side. He's doing something on the side on a little table. On that table, he's preparing the gifts. He's got the chalice there. He puts the wine, a little bit of water in there. He's got all names. He takes out particles. When you people give in prosphora, if you got a Russian church, he takes out one particle from your which is for the living names that you've given, and one for the dead, and that goes there. But some priests actually take out a particle for every single name that they've got, if they've got particular names, especially the founders, the donors, the ones who built the church, etc., etc. Those that have died recently. But these especially happen in the monasteries. And when what the priest says at that time as he's, as he's preparing that, he goes, Again we pray for the blessed memory and forgiveness of sins of all Orthodox kings, patriarchs, bishops, priests. Deacons, monastics, and every priestly monastic order, that includes readers, subdeacons, etc., all the monks, nuns, the blessed and every member of founders and benefactors of this holy house or monastery, and the priests and deacons who have served here and have died. And all our orthodox fathers and brethren who have fallen asleep in thy communion in the hope of resurrection unto life eternal, O Lord, love of mankind. And then he begins to commemorate all those dead. There's also a prayer for the living. That's important. That's before the liturgy. Then when the liturgy starts, there's also, again, depends on the day of the week. Saturday, for example, if it's not a big feast day, is dedicated apart from it's dedicated to the mother of God, the martyrs, etc., it's also dedicated for the dead. So there's all these Trapari that are sung in Matins and things like that for the dead, and that's also some things that are sung in the liturgy. Now, at the great entrance, when the priest comes out with the holy gifts um, during that most solemn time, he prays, The orthodox servants of God departed this life in the hope of resurrection and life eternal, the names. The Lord God, remember him them in his kingdom, always, now, and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. That's another time that the church. I really object to priests that say, oh, we're not going to do a liturgy because not many people come because they're working. Big deal. That's not the purpose of the liturgy. In Manathos, for example, uh, they have liturgies there in some of the, of the little houses that they've got and the, where no one's there. It might be a couple of monks. That's it. When I serve, I have no people except for a couple of monks. That's it. What, what, so I'm not going to do liturgy because there's no people we not open to the public anyway, but in general, so what if a church opens up and does a liturgy with two, three people? Liturgies are not meant for just the living or for those present. The liturgy is praying for orthodox Christians all over the world, orthodox Christians that have departed this life. It's praying for good weather, for those travelling by sea, land and air, for those that are held captive. It's praying for the armed forces. It's praying for the leaders of the country. It's praying for everyone at that time, not because there's two or three people in the church. And that's why it's a wrong practice to say, oh, we have no choir. That's why I love the examples of the Greek priests in Greece in the the villages, and say it was a feast of one of the little chapels, because, you know, probably in Russia it's the same, but you might have the main church in the village, and then around the village in the mountains and things like there's all these little chapels St. Bavaro, or St. Elias and, and they like the priests like to go and serve on those days and what do they do? Get one person to chant and off they go if people come they come, they don't, they don't and this is what is wrong that priests think oh we only serve when there's people because we're not going to sell enough candles and the electricity that we're wasting we don't be able to pay for it, this is not blessed Prayer comes first. Don't worry about lights and candles and who's gonna, how many prosphora are going to be sold. Now we come to the most important part of the liturgy. And that is when the bread and the wine are, by the Holy Spirit are changed into body and blood. And that's when uh, the priest prays and he blesses the bread and blesses the wine and blesses both. And at that time, they change into the body and blood of Christ. And then he says, and be mindful of all the... So he prays for, even for the saints he's praying at that time, because even they benefit, believe it or not, from the liturgy, but not in the way of forgiveness of sins, but they receive more grace. Be mindful, but he prays for the living. And then he also says, and be mindful of all those who have fallen asleep before us in the hope of resurrection unto life eternal and the names and grant them rest, O our God, where the light of Thy countenance watches over them. This is the greatest moment. If you can get your loved ones to be commemorated at that time, but although, by, by the way, you people also can pray as you are in the church at that time, especially that time for your living, for yourself, and how do you know which part it is? I'll tell you. It's when they sing the Mother of God. It is truly meat. Dostom? How do you say it? That's in Slavonic, or Akshionistin in Greek, or it is truly meat. When that's been sung, that's just after the consecration. At that time, because that's the the most powerful time for a person to be commemorated. I think the Russians do that. Maybe when there's a bishop. I'm not sure if I remember right, but I think at that time. They start commemorating all these names. Man Athos, they still continue that practice. But why can't the priest do that? I'll tell you what happens. Because everyone's in a hurry, they sing, you know, it is truly mean and really, really quick. So therefore, the priest is doing these and hasn't got time to read names. Because by the time he's going to read that, all of a sudden the the choir's finished. So he hasn't got time to do any commemorations, and he's got to say, um, uh, among the first, remember our patriarch and our archbishop, etc., etc., and then the liturgy goes on. But he hasn't got time. What's uh, my thing that I think should be done is that the priest should make the chanters to chant it slow, nice and slow. That's why in Mount Athos and other monasteries where they have beautiful services. They draw it out, that one, you know, it is truly, like, very long, to make it long, to have time to commemorate. But these days the consecration can be done in 10 seconds and it's all of a sudden you're on to the next part. When there's no time. So that's really, really important. Do it slow. Extend that as much as possible Make the choir do long versions of the truly meet so that people and the priest have time to be praying at that most holy moment when the Holy Spirit has come down and consecrated the gifts. Because at that time, the wine which is converted into the blood in the chalice is the actual same blood which poured from the cross not like the Protestants say it's symbolic, it is the actual same blood, and we know that from the cross we have received forgiveness of sins. And that's why those who have died, when they commemorate that time, that is the biggest, superior, that is the, the, the best. In other words, it's above prayers, it's above individual prayers, it's above alms etc. etc. This is the pinnacles, one can say. So you should ask the priest if you have love for your loved ones and say to them, Can you please commemorate at that time? At that time, I want my father or mother, etc., to be commemorated. Person, as I said, for me, sometimes I might take. Uh, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I don't care because there's no one there so I just, even if the chanting stopped I'll just keep on going because I have to commemorate the names because I firmly believe at that time those names which are being commemorated are being helped the most. But not only that the living as well prayers that have been done at that time is very 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 powerful for those living but especially for the dead because the dead can't help themselves anymore. There's no repentance in the next life. They can't do good deeds in the next life. They can't do anything in the next life. All they do is wait for prayers and alms, etc., but especially the liturgy. We also have a whole day dedicated two days a year, which is called Soul Saturday, where we pray for patriarchs, bishops, deacons, high monks, high deacons, monks, nuns, parents forebears grandparents great grandparents children spouses youths brethren and all our relatives in a plan etc cetera, etc, cetera, and asking that God forgive all of them we also have on Pentecost the day uh, the night time when we do the Vesper service the kneeling prayers there 's a lot of references to that in the books that I read that there 's even a prayer for those in hell where it says for all those in hell by the way it says um And supplications for those bound in Hades, in hell, and grant unto us the great hope that respite and comfort will be sent down from thee to the departed from the grief that does bind them. Hearken to us, we're asking God to the priest, thy humble and pitiful ones who pray and give rest to the souls of thy servants who have fallen asleep before us in a place of brightness, etc., etc., where else sickness, sorrow, and float away. And that which we said, I think I said that in the last talk as well before. That there is a specific prayer for those in hell during Pentecost, during the, the, the Vesper service of the Holy Spirit. Also, those of you who've got the Jordanville prayer book, there are in the night prayers, I think, or the day, I forgot now, there's a whole couple of pages for the departed. You people have to get used to praying for the departed every day in your prayers. Remember, O Lord, those that have departed this life. This is what you should be saying every day, which is basically what the priest says in the monastery. There's no reason why or a priest says in the church. Remember, O Lord, those who have departed this life, orthodox kings, queens, princesses, princes, most holy patriots, reverend metropolitans, orthodox archbishops, bishops, those in priestly and clerical orders of the church, those who have served thee in the monastic order, and grant them rest with the saints in thy eternal tabernacles. Then you do a bow. And you say the next one, remember, O Lord, the souls of thy departed servants, my parents' names, and all my relatives according to the flesh, and forgive them all transgressions, whether voluntary and involuntary, granting them the kingdom and a portion of thine eternal good things, and the delight of thine endless and blessed life. And again it says bow, so then you bow again. There's a few more. Remember, O Lord, also our fathers and brethren and sisters and those that lie here. After you've prayed for them, now you're praying for everyone. And all Orthodox Christians that departed in the hope of resurrection life eternal, and settle them with thy saints, where the light of thy countenance shall visit them, and have mercy on us for thou art good and the love of mankind. And again, it says there to do a bow, and then grant, O Lord, remission of sins to all our fathers and brethren and sisters that have departed before us in faith and hope of resurrection, and make their memory to be eternal. That is, by doing that every day in your prayer books, morning prayers, night prayers, wherever they are then you are participating in the prayers for the dead with the church. And you, believe it or not, if you are praying with your heart at that time, then those prayers, unless you doubt, which is not good, but if you don't doubt and have faith, those prayers that you are doing are helping all those that you are praying for if they have not fully made it as yet. Archbishop John wrote some, some things about the dead and it's very simply written. St. Nectarius wrote things, St. John of Damascus wrote so much and a lot of great saints wrote a lot about this topic about helping the dead. St. John, Archbishop of Shanghai, says every one of us who desires to manifest his love for the dead and give them real help can do this All through prayer for them, like what we've just said. He confirms that. And in particular, by commemorating them at the liturgy. So St. John, in an orthodox manner, says that is the best way to help the dead. When the particles are cut out for the living and the dead, are let fall into the blood of the Lord with the words. So at the end of the service, after people have communed, the priest then has to put whatever's left on that this um, the there has to put them into the chalice and while he's putting them in the particles as he's putting them in he says wash away O lord the sins of those he commemorated by thy precious blood by the, by the prayers of thy saints that's what the priest does all those names living and the dead Now, you might say, but when you're washing away sins for the living, but don't they get washed away when we confess, etc., etc.? There's a lot of confusion there because we sin every minute. And what we say is that sins can, the, those sins, the, what we call everyday sins, involuntary sins, sins that we don't even know that we've done, but not things that are serious, which are penalized by the church in a strict way which I went through the canon book and found some, because some people say, well, what do you mean, what do you mean? Well, there are serious sins, which by the canons need to be confessed. Sex outside of marriage, adultery, incest, whether with blood relatives, whether with non-blood relatives, such as sister-in-laws, mother-in-laws, stepmothers, godchildren, all these things are very serious sins. Homosexuality, pedophilia, murder, abortions, and those who encourage an abortion, and those who do the abortion. All those those are very serious sins. Also, the Canons talk about women or parents who abandon their children outside churches, hospitals, and orphanages. Very serious sin. Serious robbery and things like that, which we've already talked about before. Perjury, when you go to courts and you lie about someone and they can go to jail, that's very serious. When you go to sorcerers, whether it's mediums, whether it's black magic, white magic, whether you think you're doing good, um, even things like cursing, evil eyes, all these things are not good and can damage our souls in the next life. Denied, uh, well, if you denied Christ, it's basically that's a, sorry, that doesn't, There's all talking about other sins that where someone may do that, but they're still in the church in a sense. Um, leaving your monastic life when you made a promise to stay in your monastery and then all of a sudden you're leaving and going to get married and things like that, there's some of the ones that I went through and found of serious sins, of course, there's many more, but that's just some for you to understand that those things are dangerous. So St. John says, we can do nothing better or greater for the dead than to pray for them, offering commemoration for them at the liturgy. Of this, they are always in need, and especially during those 40 days when the soul of the deceased is proceeding on its path to eternal habitations, the most important time to pray for the dead is the first 40 days after its departure. And just so that you know, the day that the person dies is court number one, because people go number one is the next day. The same day is number one, two, three, et cetera. That is the time when you start doing your alms and giving alms to the poor and you're doing your personal prayers and having memorial services done, which is usually the third day and the ninth day and the 40th day, etc. and that's panahitas and things like that. Having liturgies done, which we'll, we'll explain that all that in a minute, he says here that the body feels nothing then. It does not see its close ones who have assembled. It does not smell the fragrance of the flowers. It does not hear all these talks that people are doing at the funeral, But the, which usually lies. But the soul, sen- I, I put that in, but the soul senses uh, the prayers offered for it and it is grateful to those who make them and is spiritually close to them. What the soul cares about it's not the yabba yabbas and all that at the church and, and such and such and he was such a good person, even though he used to blaspheme, and he used to be a really good person, even though he robbed the tax, and things like that. So it's like all these lies, and those things are pretty worthless anyway, unless it's something spiritually beneficial. What the soul, it doesn't care about the flowers. Don't waste money on flowers. And coffins. Well, for my parents, I've got the cheapest coffin. I wish that I didn't even have to pay for the coffin as well. Because really, by law, I think you can put them in as long as a, you put the But Anyway, we just did it like that. But um, cheapest coffin, cheapest graves, don't waste money. Use your money on commemorations and giving money to the poor. The, the dead people don't feel, don't recognise and don't care about the flowers and the coffins and all those monuments. You see, you go to the yards and you see like monuments, as if you know George Bush died or something. You go, what is there? What what is that? Like a whole monument there with angels and, and things like that. There, well, what's that? Why well, the angels going to come to life? So that's what Saint John says. It feels the prayers that you are doing for the soul. The soul feels them and knows who's doing them. He says here, O relatives and close ones of the dead, do for them what is needful for them and what is with your power. Use your money not for outward adornment of the coffin and grave, but in order to help those in need in memory of your close ones who have died. For churches where prayers for them are offered, show mercy to the dead, take care for their souls. Before us all stands the same path and how we we shall wish when we die that we that that we would be remembered in prayer let us therefore be ourselves merciful to the dead blessed are the merciful for well, that's my point for they shall obtain mercy show mercy to the dead as soon as someone has reposed immediately call or inform a priest so he can read like i said before the prayers on the departure of the soul which were appointed to be read over all Orthodox Christians after death. This is St. John speaking. Try, if it be possible, to have the funeral in church. Sometimes there's no churches around, especially in Russia, maybe when people live far away. But anyway, here we don't have the problem. The funeral need not be performed elaborately. They have to be all beautiful with choirs. And he says here, and not with abbreviations. And some priests... But to say the truth, that some priests are slack and they abbreviate services. There are some that do it because um, there's just so much, there's some parishes which are just so busy, especially some Greek parishes, there's just so much They might have in one day, you know, five weddings, you know, four baptisms, funerals. It's just, it just goes on, bang, 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 and it's like really bad. But someone went to a church once, to a Greek church. I won't say sure it was here or somewhere else. It was a Greek church. And they said, oh, it was so bad that we were basically chucked out as soon as the wedding was over. Why? And I said, because the next marriage, the people that are going to get married, the next one, have been going around the, in their cars around five, six, seven times waiting for you to finish. So it's like, right, out. Like It's like a thing. So, but then again, why go there? Why would you go to a church if it's that busy? Go find somewhere else. People say, I want to be married in a beautiful big church. Well, if you want to be married in a beautiful big church and have your beautiful big things, you're going to have services which are done in a hurry. (laughs) Have you ever heard that? It's like, what are they saying? It's not not good. And sometimes for baptisms things are left out and for marriages things are left out and they have effects, by the way. But let's have a look at the other thing, which is um, when we leave our things for funerals. He says here... Um, try if possible that the funeral need not be elaborately done but most definitely it should be complete without abrogance think at this time not of yourself and your convenience think about that soul, that soul needs all those prayers that have been said with each word of prayer for the repose is like a drop of water to a thirsty man the souls in the next life wait for prayers, for little Lord have mercies, for candles for money would you give to the poor. All those souls, they wait for those things, and for them, it's like you're giving a thirsty person who's just even a drop of water. That's how important it is for them. It helps them. And as we've seen in those examples that we read, and people that even got out of hell. Most definitely, arrange it once for the the seven-of-the-40-day memorial, that is daily commemorations of the liturgy, for the course of 40 days, 40 liturgies. Usually in churches where there are daily services, Um, the deceased whose funerals have been served there look, uh, San Francisco for example, the Russian church there in Greece, there's many churches, they'll do services every day and when someone dies obviously they'll put their name there, but there's a lot of churches that don't do services every day and it's the job of the people there and the person if you could beforehand to arrange that they uh, ring up monasteries and send money because monasteries don't exist like that the people just think, oh, they, they're there and uh, the money just flies down from heaven, like it's just uh, just come to... These monasteries live by the donation of the people. Without the monasteries, we're dead. If we understand that, then you'll understand what's going on. Anyway, so uh, Jerusalem, Mount Athos in Greece, in Russia, uh, Jordanville, uh, there's a lot of there. Um, um, St. Anthony's Monastery in Arizona and uh, the Cathedral in San Francisco, but especially monasteries where they do every day a liturgy. It's important to have your dead people commemorated at those liturgies for 40 days. But if the funeral is in a church where there are no daily services, the relatives themselves should take care to order 40-day memorials wherever there are daily services. It is likewise good to send contributions for commemoration to monasteries, as well as to Jerusalem, where there is constant prayer at the holy places. But the 40-day memorial must be begun immediately after death, When the soul is especially in need of prayer. Don't wait. Straight away. And therefore, one should begin commemoration in the nearest place or wherever there are daily services. Therefore, panahitas, that's memorial prayers, and prayers at home for the dead are beneficial for them. Private prayers, he's saying, and panahitas and good deeds done in their memory, such as alms or contributions and to the church, But especially beneficial for them is the commemoration, again he's saying it, at the divine liturgy. There have been many appearances of the dead and other occurrences which confirm how beneficial is the commemoration of the dead. And we just read a lot of them today. And I had much more to read. Many who died in repentance, here we come now, little secret here, many who died in repentance but were unable to to manifest this while they're alive, have been freed from tortures and have obtained repose. What does he mean, and when we're unable to manifest thing? In other words, they didn't have time to produce fruits of repentance. Like a woman had an abortion. Well, what's a fruit? It's not enough just to confess or to repent. The next thing is, well, she should have children. But if she can't have children because she's out of age, then she can help Orphans, or she can adopt someone. Someone stolen. Yeah, it's good to repent, as I said before, but you gotta give it back. Some people can die on their deathbed and say, Oh, what have I done? I stole, but didn't have time to produce fruits of repentance. And you know, murder and other big sins that we do need time for us to give arms to the poor for ourselves. When this is not able to be done, because the person dies I mean not properly prepared, even though there is some repentance there, then he says that these people can be helped um, and be freed from tortures and obtain repose. In the church, prayers are ever offered for the repose of the dead. I just read you a lot of them. And on the day of the descent of the Holy Spirit, in the kneeling prayers at Vespers, there is even a special petition for those in hell. St. John's saying that as well. Let us take care for those who have departed into the other world before us in order to do for them all we can. Remembering that, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That's Saint John ends like that. And that's why I kept on saying it right through. If we don't have mercy on our our dead, no one's going to have mercy on us. Just one thing. My mother, um, after my father departed, as I said, she became more into the church. And um, she uh, had this, paranoia one can say that if she takes lists of names to the priests that they're going to get upset or angry with her because she had all these names of all relatives and she would write lists and lists of names of people she can remember from her village and all people that she knew and she had this thing of commemorating all these people that were that had died and as I said at that time I never really understood much about it because I wasn't in the church but I recall it now what she was doing and what she would do is she would Make prosphora because the Greeks make their own prosphora. So she would make prosphora. She would make five or five or six of them. And what she would do is she would get the prosphora, put one of the lists in that in that prosphora there, put some money in there, and then she will take it to the church. And then because she's like walking, and then she will take the other prosphora and walk to another church, or she would give it to someone else to take it to that church. So she would try and take all these prosphora to all these different churches so that the names are not too much. So that she, in her mind, because the priest would become um, upset as she thought. Maybe she was right in some ways for some priests. So um, there's a story there, actually, that one priest died and then the new priest came and saw his soul and his soul was all with chains and things like that. And the new priest, the living priest, recognised that it was the priest that used to be in that church before. And the, the dead priest was saying, was pointing to something there near the floor. And then he looked and he saw a bag. And then the the priest, the living priest, opened up the bag and what did he find? He found all these names that that priest, because of his laziness, didn't commemorate. He just threw them in the bag, didn't commemorate them. And because of that, when he, when he died, he went to hell and he was chained, as it says, because of that, because of his sin. And God allowed him to come back um, whether it's the angel or whatever, and said to the priest to commemorate those names. Once the priest commemorated those names, then he was free. So it shows you that the importance of the names being commemorated and plus the fact that some priests out of slackness do do that. Anyway, that's what she did. And she would continually, continually, continually be praying, uh, sending these names to all these churches for the dead. Why am I telling you that story? Not to present my mother, bringing it up for you is to tell you the following: Blessed are the merciful they shall obtain mercy because now now she 's commemorated every day in the liturgy with intensity, whether here or in other places where i 've left her where i 've left her name, and because um, she became a nun at the end, Eustina, um, nun, and uh that I believe is from that, and one other little story just blesses the merciful. When before I was born, my father's mother became very sick, and she became bed bound. Little stories which are really good. And she began to get gangrene because she was bed bound, and therefore because she wasn't moving around, her backside or, or her sides there, as she was on the bed, began to become. Uh, um, Bed sores and they, they can become, if the person's sick or got diabetes, they can become gangrenous. And what happened, if that's, I that's say the word, and my father said to my mother, I think we have to take her to the nursing home because we're not going to be taking care of her. And then my mother said, No, even though it wasn't her mother, and my mother said, No, I'll take care of her, which is interesting. So she took care of her right up to the time that she died, even though she had two children before me, my two sisters. And what happened then? Blessed are the merciful. What happened then was that when my mother got sick with motor neuron disease, as you know, some of you might know, horrible disease, where you become fully paralysed, and the only thing you can move is your eyes, but your brain is fully there, that's why it's a horrible disease, because other diseases it affect your brain, and a lot of times you don't even know what's going on, but the disease that she was dying from, it paralyses every single muscle in your body, including your lungs, where you can't breathe, and all that she could move was the eyes and she communicated through the eyes. But um, the good thing was uh, what I'm trying to say is that these things always come back to us. That's why I say blessed are the merciful they shall obtain mercy. She was paralysed for about two years and then she passed away. And during, those, during, especially like later on when she was fully, she couldn't move. She spent not one day except for the last night when her lungs collapsed, that she went to the hospital and died there, but she was not taken to a nursing home, etc. She was taken care of every day to her death. Now, why I'm saying that is, I believe that, blessed are the merciful men, she was merciful to her mother-in-law and she obtained mercy. She was merciful to the dead. She obtained mercy. That's the same as us. Whatever we do is not wasted. And we need to be doing these things. And I'm not trying to make other mothers the same. It's just that, to me, they're examples that I saw and I'm sharing them. If you want to think that I'm trying to say something that I'm not, that's your business. Let's look at the lesson. And the lesson is that she took care of her mother-in-law, which was my grandmother, to the end. But she didn't have to because a lot of times daughter-in-laws don't take care of mother-in-laws as you know, usually they're the worst enemies but she said no so the same with the dead let us do that, now the next talk uh, God willing is going to continue on because I want to go into more detail about the liturgy but also especially about this thing about those who die uh, like when they die and how are they saved and What happens to those souls that die in sins and apply it to ourselves? Because um, the truth is most people that die, uh, die with um, sins. They haven't properly prepared themselves and probably that's how we're going to go as well. Who knows unless we, you know. But the point is here... We need to see what the fathers of the church say because the Protestants say about the orthodox, oh, how do you pray for the dead? There's no repentance in hell. They said you can't repent. That's what Christ said. There's no repentance, or the Bible says there's no repentance else. Yes, Mr. Protestant, that's correct. There is no repentance in hell. But there is forgiveness. And this is what I want to talk about in the next talk. Exactly God's forgiveness to those souls and how does he take people out of hell and all those type of things through the prayers of the holy fathers Lord Jesus Christ our god of mercy and save us amen holy God holy mighty, holy to have mercy on us
1: holy God holy mighty, holy to have mercy on Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal, have mercy on us. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The choir of the saints has found the fountain of life and the door of paradise. May I also find the way through repentance I am the sheep that was lost. Call me up to thee, O Savior, and save me. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. Thou who didst fashion me of all out of nothingness, and with thine image divine did honor me. But because of transgressions of thy commandments, return me again to the earth from whence I was taken. Lead me back to be refashioned into that ancient beauty of the likeness. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. I am the image of thine unnatural glory. Though I bear the scars of my stumblings, have compassion upon me the work of thy hands, O sovereign Lord, and cleanse me through thy loving kindness and the homeland of my heart's desire bestow on me by making me a citizen of paradise. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. Keep rest, O God. To the souls of thy servants, and appoint for them a place in paradise, Where the choirs of the saints, O Lord, and the just, will shine forth like stars. To thy servants that are sleeping, now give rest, overlooking all their offences. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, the triune radiance of the one Godhead with reverent songs acclaiming. Let us cry holy at thou, O eternal Father and Son, also eternal and Spirit divine. Shine with thy light on us, who with faith adore thee, and from the eternal fire rescue us now and ever and unto ages of ages, amen. Rejoice, O gracious Lady, who in her flesh bears God for salvation of all, and through whom the human race has found salvation. Through thee may we find paradise, O Son lady pure and blessed. Alleluia, alleluia. Hallelujah, glory to the oh God. Hallelujah, 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 glory to the oh God. Hallelujah, 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 glory to the O oh God. servants and preserve them in that life of blessedness that is live with thee O friend of man in the place of thy rest O lord where all the saints repose give rest also to the souls of thy servants for thou alone art Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Thou art our God who descended into hell to lose the pains of the dead that were there. Give rest also to the souls of thy servants, O oh Saviour now and ever and unto ages of ages, amen. O Virgin, alone pure and immaculate, that in maiden motherhood brought forth God, intercede for the salvation of the souls of thy servants.